0: This is The Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show. Call the show
0: at 1 855 Chat BYU.
1: This is The Matt
2: Townsend Show. Dr.
0: Matt Townsend. Now.
2: On BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy July 5th, uh, the day after the great festivities as we celebrate our country's independence. And how better to do that than to just blow up a lot of things? I couldn't believe how many fireworks were going off last night. It was incredible. I had the best. So I went in Salt Lake City uh, on this really high peak and watched the entire valley. Wow. All the fireworks from the entire valley. And literally, every second, hundreds of little explosions around the valley. Plus, not to mention like the five or ten really big displays going on. So you didn't want to shell out the cash?
3: No, I'm a cheapskate. So we th- there's nothing worse though than kind of putting your foot halfway in or putting one leg out the boat because we spent forty dollars on a really lackluster yeah fireworks set. How'd, how'd that set.
2: go for you? My girls were a little disappointed. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> My entire neighborhood gets together. We had one father spend fifteen hundred dollars no on fireworks. What? Yeah, and we missed that. But we but so what? I have figured. I figured it out. We celebrate Americans, America's independence by purchasing expensive things, and then we just watch it burn. Those firework uh, manufacturers, they're they're loving it. What a brilliant game. Oh, yeah. Buy the package, and then watch it burn. Just watch
3: <laughs> it burn. It's just the watch it burn game. And we brought this up last week, too, $1,500. That's,
2: That's a lot a of trip money. trip to Disneyland. That really is. For a family. Totally, no. And, Sheesh. And yet... Uh, and that was just one neighbor. I think our neighbors, probably two or three of them, spent $500. Oh, yeah. So this was – it's crazy. And and then there's the old, the old fire hazards. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a tinderbox with it being 105 degrees around the west. And can I just say, too, as far as getting
3: Tuesday off, I could not figure out the entire day what part of the week it was. Yeah. No, totally I confusing. Nothing like a Tuesday holiday to confuse you beyond belief. And, and,
2: and now makes Wednesday difficult. Yeah. Because it's like, I don't know what to do today. Is today hump day? Like where I can just now ride out the rest of the week or it feels like a Monday. I mean, my body is sore, tired, exhausted. I don't know what to do. Do I treat this like a Monday? Do I treat it like my Thursday? I don't know. <sighs> I got I to wind it down. So, I don't know. Do I wind it down? Do I wind it up? Which it, way do I wind?
3: It was like it was like going into work on Friday, coming home, enjoying the time with your family, and then you have to go back in the next day. Yeah,
2: that's what it was like. It boy they and they all of the um, prisoners here at BYU Broadcasting on Monday got a reprieve. Our leader uh, said, everybody go home. If you're not an essential employee, get out of here. Yeah. Go I, get ready for the big weekend. Yeah, he said that at 2 o'clock. I know. Okay, everyone could go at 3. I know. I, I always leave at 2, and as I'm walking out, I got the email. I'm like, what the? And us three-quarter-time employees read
3: that from home th- thinking, oh, great, thanks. Yeah, I've been home for three <laughs> hours. Thanks,
2: man. <laughs> Isn't it great? That was super nice. Yeah, I mean, it was. But, you know, what else are you going to do? But that's three – some people got three hours off. That was three hours off to go start their festivities, to get up to Wyoming to buy their Unless fireworks. Unless
4: you were essential. Yeah. And that, you don't need to go to Wyoming. You just go down to the grocery store. It's in the parking lot. Well, and then sometimes
2: this would never happen at BYU. But that's a scary thing. When your boss asks you to determine if you're an essential employee. Right.
5: That was a test, not, really. I
2: mean, at some companies, when, you just, when you've when you determined you're not by leaving early. Well, I'm worthless to the bottom okay, line. We'll thanks. see you. Good you self-selected.
3: <laughs> well, I'm supposed to have a meeting with Don today, and I think oh, yeah. he might say, now, it looks here like you took out took off early the other yeah. day. Does that mean mm. you don't think you're no,
2: essential? Non-essential. Let's reassess. <sighs> well, they've been telling us we're non-essential forever. Yeah, they know. I mean, they, I mean, in a good way. They don't mean it in a negative way. Just, right. Is guys, that, could guys, that ever they be They keep taking... telling Terry he needs to take more time off. Yeah, they do. How can you take that in a good way, though? I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. It's crazy. Well, it's good. And you made it, folks. So now you're back, and you're at it. Today we're going to be talking about the the social media spread. The virility is that is that the word
4: virility or virality? It depends on your regional vernacular.
2: I, don't, I think I don't it's don't virility. It the virility. Virility yeah. of social media. We've seen and we've talked about it on the show before with uh, United Airlines with Uber. You make one mistake today, and you're in trouble because it, it'll spread through social media. We're going to show you today how it happens. What is different today that allows one message to really bring down a company, in Uber's case, to lose 200,000 app users
4: in one day? It's a big deal. They've actually had multiple instances where yeah. this has happened. It's, and so now you have – a, a if, you're, if you're more of a politically motivated person for whatever reason – yeah, you're probably not using Uber, but the vast majority of people are unaware of most of these right. things, and they're still using Uber. So and it's kind well, of this. Well,
2: it's, and we joked about United; it's the same thing. Like, are you going to not fly United if they give right. a good flight and they give a good discount? No, it's like, well, I'm going to save twenty bucks. I'm I mean, fly. you just what well, you
4: just carry some brass knuckles and a right some mace. <laughs> well, last week their engine caught on fire. It was a Monday; their engine caught on fire in Denver. Yeah, but who hasn't had an engine fire? Yeah, it's, it's fine. Denver? Are you sure it wasn't Phoenix? No, it was Denver. Okay. Mm. We'll be
2: talking about that, PR and social media, those, uh, the impact it's having on organizations around the country. Also uh, today, of course, some empty news, uh, news you didn't even know you needed to know. We'll get to some of that as well. Including a new sponsor. And a new sponsor. Mm-hmm. See, that's, we don't stop. We're getting sponsors
4: left and right. Multiple Oreo flavors. Oh, and Oreo's still out mm. it.
2: Okay, and the thin Oreo. Now they some, have the thin Oreo.
4: Some are gross.
2: Of course. Of course. Many would say most of them are gross. Nah, there's a couple that might be say. okay. I love Oreos. We'll, uh, we'll get to all that, but first to the headlines with Terry South. Terry,
4: what's up? New York City police officer shot and killed while sitting in her police vehicle in Bronx this morning. A suspect allegedly approached without warning, shot her through the car window about 12.30 a.m. Absolutely unprovoked, said the commissioner of the New York City Police Department. She was a 12-year veteran. Rushed to a nearby hospital, could not be saved. The mm. suspect was killed just a block away by two other officers. Police said one bystander was reportedly shot in the stomach during the attack and is in stable condition, so that's ongoing at the moment. North Korea conducted a missile test on Tuesday. Their own fireworks, if you will. Wow. This happened to be an ICBM, but... <laughs> Fine. Uh, it could strike anywhere in the world. It's the type of a missile they were they were testing later Tuesday. CNN and NBC reported that U.S. officials believe the missile was in fact an intercontinental ballistic missile. And Secretary of State Rex Tillerson released a statement declaring the launch a new escalation and the threat to the United States, our allies, partners, the region, and the world. Wow! So the launch was what into the sea towards Japan.
2: But it was like a 600-mile
4: missile or whatever. Oh, yeah. Didn't it fly, like, for 40 minutes? Uh Uh-huh. So, Or usually they're, like, halfway through that flight and it blows up and everyone goes, oh, they uh, can't do it. Everyone
2: thinks they weren't able to do this. Yeah.
4: that's scary. Yeah. Uh, Tesla Motors will unveil their first mass-market electric car on Friday, two weeks earlier than expected. Wow. The company's chief executive, Elon Musk, announced the news late on Sunday, saying the production of the Model 3 will increase exponentially after its debut this week. 100 cars are slated for production in August, followed by uh, 1,500 or more beginning in September. 20,000 starting in December. He said the Model Three, priced at around thirty-five thousand dollars, is expected to be able to travel two hundred fifteen miles on one charge. The car's more affordable, affordable price, about half of what Tesla's luxury cars go for, is aimed at expanding the company's customer base and getting more drivers to shift to sustainable energy sources.
2: Mm. That's they're ahead of schedule.
4: Yeah. Well, they went through the the safety. Regulation rather quickly. They thought it would take longer. Oh, and they just... And it just breezed right through. And they're like, oh, okay. So I guess we'll ramp up production. Oh. Uh, auto, other auto news. Automaker Volvo says the car's launching uh, launch starting in 2019 will either be electric or hybrids. They Ooh. will get rid of their combustion engines. The uh, so now they're owned by a Chinese company named uh, Geely, the first auto ma- manufacturer to discontinue the production of its gas-only vehicles. Really, starting in 2019, this says the company plans to release three new all-electric cars by 2021. Hold
2: on, is it? It's all a Volvo.
4: Yeah, all of their cars. All their cars starting in 2019 will be electric or hybrid. What? Yeah, it's a big deal. I don't know how you. It's a big deal. It, it seems like you could maybe. Uh, take a slower pace. Yeah, slow down a bit. maybe they don't want to. See and, what and happens. No, that's Just great. Just kind of jam it through. And finally, Joey Jaws Chestnut gulped, chomped, uh. and powered his way through a 10th title on Tuesday, continuing his record setting reign as the chowing champion at the annual nathan's famous uh, mm. july 4th hot dog eating contest he uh, what shoving water-soaked buns and wriggling franks into his mouth on a hot sunny day on coney Island board doesn't that just sound gross yeah it's everything hot. About it. hot dogs soggy buns he downed 72 dogs uh. and buns in 10 minutes to beat his own record and hoisted the mustard belt for a 10th time san jose california man bested up-and-comer Carmen Cannotti of Mays, uh, New Jersey, wow. who ate 60 francs and buns. Oh, that, was mm. a, that was a 24th birthday. Way to celebrate. Yeah, congrats. Uh, Miku uh, Sudo, not sure. fourth straight win, is the women's competition. She ate 41 hot dogs and buns and beat out um, a woman from Tucson who downed 32 francs and buns. Mercy. So I, I watched an interview with Joey Chestnut. He says 70 dogs and buns and the water all together is about mm. 20 pounds. So he's what? putting away 20 pounds in 10 minutes. Where do you put it? It just sort of hangs out. He says for about four days, and then it's oh. then it's gone. Uh, you would think that they would need to get
2: rid of it like a half hour later. I don't know. I think they strip you of your title if
3: you uh, yeah. lose your lunch there. You got to –
2: well, on on the stand. You got to – Well, that's why you uh, just you just call an Uber car. Yeah. You get your little trophy, and Zip then away. you go to Uber, and you have them drive around the corner. Soggy buns, yeah, because yeah. they have to soak them. Oh, it's just... that was
4: your old college nickname, wasn't it? Soggy buns, yeah, yeah, yeah but those... that
2: was for a different thing.
4: It's kind of gross to watch. Apparently, PETA was trying to interrupt the uh, festivities. Why? Uh, you know, hot dogs. Why well, I didn't? I bet there's no, there's in no the hot animal. There's no animal
3: in hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what's in it's them? It's all fake.
4: And could you imagine? Oh, these... but they're Nathan dogs, aren't they? The, so those are these those are, people, it's pure people. Meat. <laughs> These people practice. Nathan dogs are people. Right? They practice I know. for this event. So in the end, it's like, how many hot dogs do you actually eat? How many pounds of hot dogs did you eat yesterday? I ate one hot dog. I did too, without I, a bun. A, I ate a hot dog and I ate a hamburger and I'm done. I didn't have a hamburger. I
3: had one drumstick.
4: Oh, yeah. You were really big on your KFC.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, K- well, kitchen fried chicken? Kitchen fried chicken. Yeah.
4: It was, yeah. It's like Christmas in Japan. You did your KFC. But you only had
3: one drumstick? Well, I wasn't hungry by the time dinner showed up at 4.45 because I got my In-N-Out burger at 1.45. Well, that yeah, you
2: kind of blew that.
3: Well, I was waiting on my brother to get the burger to me.
2: Oh. So then you only had one drumstick? Mm-hmm. Did you have any coleslaw?
4: No. No.
2: Why? That's the best. Really? Is Bro. it? A little vinegar in your body? Mm. I had fish tacos mm. Okay, now that would have been great That was really good Halibut Just for the halibut Well, you know, there's nothing better than halibut in Utah in the middle of July Or the first of July yeah. After it's been sitting there for a while, too yeah. When was it caught? Utah's a really big fish capital It's been <laughs> on dry ice for how long? I think they came from the Great Salt Lake um, Okay, so uh, did you know this? couple things. Just a little mm. facts that I found on on uh, CNN. Have you guys heard of CNN? Yes. It's, uh, Donald, that, Donald like Trump country... apparently has been wrestling with him lately. Um. Yeah. Uh, the original Declaration of Independence was originally called the Dunlap Broadside. Huh. Kind of a funny name. It never took on. So the Declaration of Independence stuck, you know. Yeah, it's a better name. Three presidents have died on the 4th of July. John Adams. Did you know that? No. Thomas Jefferson. I read his book. And James Monroe. Huh. Died 4th of July. Probably lighting off fireworks. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Um, did you, by the way, light off fireworks, Terry?
4: I watched fireworks lit off. How much money did you spend? Zero. My brother-in-law buys them all. Oh. So did he you went home for like an hour. Just, just using stuff up. Well, I mean, if he's going to go ahead and spend the money, I'll sit on his front lawn and watch it. Yeah. That's okay. Then I don't have to spend the money. I'll spend the money later.
3: By the way, that was one of the benefits of having 4th of July on a weekday is that the fireworks only went until about 1030 as opposed to midnight.
2: Oh, really? Ours mm-hmm. just seemed to keep going. When mm. I was watching the entire
4: valley, so I ours yeah. didn't ever end. We just got tired of it. We left early, but we all sat in the car and just watched the fireworks as we drove down the freeway. It's like the entire valley exploding. Isn't it? It beautiful? was amazing. It is we're just amazing. like this is the best show. We don't even have to sit anywhere, or go anywhere. We're just drive around the freeway and watch fireworks. Seven point one billion dollars were spent
2: on food and beverages. Mm. It's estimated seven point one billion. People only would sp- only spent more on fireworks to watch them burn. Uh, people consume more than nineteen million watermelons. Did you guys have watermelon yesterday? No. No. I had tons of watermelon.
4: It was available. I skipped it.
2: Yeah, well, you were trying to stuff those dogs. 23 million cases of beer. Hmm. That's sad. I had root beer, and boy, oh, boy, was it good. 890 did- million pounds of meat. Mm. A, mm. That's a big barbecue.
3: By the way, did you know that the root beer at uh, Flay & W uh, tastes different than the Flay & W you can pick up from the grocery store? No. Do Check they have
2: filet of fish at Flay & W? No. Love that. There's, uh, We ate so many hot dogs that you could stretch the hot dogs from D.C. to L.A.
4: Really? That's a lot of hot dogs. (laughs) In one day. Who's figuring this this out? CNN. Does that take Joey Chestnut's impact? Yeah. On the situation there? Okay. Because
2: they they pretty much covered the state of New York. Okay. See, now that should be his next record. He should have to walk
3: from D.C. to L.A. eating hot dogs all along the way.
4: He wanted 75. He only got 72. Oh, what a letdown. Yeah, so, yeah. There's so always gross. next year. See, now, he sounds like he's non-essential.
3: <laughs>
2: yeah. This morning, he is. Yeah, totally. Uh, America, did you know that we have an official 4th of July city? An official city in the United States called the 4th of July city. Seward, Nebraska is the official city. Why so? For the 4th of July. It's just been designated. It just is. As it is designated, so it is. Why isn't it like Milwaukee? By the way, I, because Milwaukee... <laughs> Uh, they've got other things. Okay, well, um, right? Didn't they have the Brewers, the Vernon Shirley? Shirley. <laughs> they've already had their moment? Is uh-huh. that What you're saying? Okay, you, you move on. You get your 15 minutes. Largest fireworks display is the Macy's show in New York City. Just hmm. some facts for you. You know, that's why we're here to give you the information you didn't even know you needed to know. We'll take a break when we come back. We're going to be talking about social media and the spread. And the virility of uh, of just one story and how it could impact a company, it's a it's a pretty powerful new weapon in the uh, arsenal for activists. Stick with us. We'll be talking about how to manage your PR and social media. Stick with us. Remember, we all saw the video of a bloody man being dragged off a United Airlines flight. And so if your fears of flying weren't justified by that video, it may have left you a little bit angry. Whatever your reaction, social media took that video and made United Airlines the biggest PR flub of the year. So here to speak with us more about... uh, public relations and the impact that social media is having on organizations and their, their uh, need to actually focus more and more on public relations is Dr. Anjana Sus- Susarla. She's a professor of uh, business at Michigan State University and has been researching um, a lot on this, on this very topic of social media. And we're honored to have you here today. Dr. Susarla, thank you for your time.
6: Thank you very much for having me.
2: How, what changes have you seen in business um, when it comes to social media and, and, and the blowback that can happen in just one day because of one event and the impact it has on a business?
6: You know, one of the big things that has changed because of social media is really the scale and the speed with which uh, you know, consumers can react to something going wrong. You know, so what happens is like we've seen in the case of that United Airlines, when the passenger was dragged forcibly off the airline, yeah. they were immediately, you know, there were three or four different people who were, you know, videotaping it with their smartphones and it went viral and there was just this Twitter outrage. So, you know, it allows uh, people to do two things. One is everyone needs a reason to rent, right? No yeah. one loves airlines. And it taps into this need that we all have to connect with others and say, look, this is something really bad that happened to me. And that sort of outrage can just become, you know, global. It can just cascade. Um, It can start off with just a few, one or two people, and then just get into the thousands and the millions within like hours. And I think that's really the impact of social media.
2: It's interesting because we now, I never thought of it that way, but we... Everyone has a need to connect and a need to vent. but So now we can more e- readily, more easily commiserate with each other's pain. Um, wh- what is it that makes it so viral? What, what is it that – because a lot of people have probably complained about an airlines, but very few got the attention that United Airlines got. What was the difference?
6: I think especially in the case of this incident – you know we've all been there. we know that we've we know that airlines you know are not exactly treating customers great and in you know the particular incident presume, I think probably connected more with everyone so much because you know the it's clear that the customer was so much like you know in the right, and we all felt like we've been there we've had enough right yeah the um it's you know, it's called a social contract with companies, right? We believe in companies. We um, have loyalty to certain brands because we feel that there is kind of a, you know, there's a social contract between an individual and a company. I, uh, I'm loyal to this company or this airline because, you know, I trust them to do the right thing. And when we feel that they broke that, um, you know, they broke that uh, the pledge, or they broke the trust they have with us then we are angry and social media loves that anger to just spread you know and mm. go viral and become like a wildfire yeah. i think that's really
2: and, and uh, i guess part of this gets into like social activism in a way because we we use social media as a way to to try to activate change to try to create a change and but did we not have I guess, is it just the tool of social media is so much bigger or do we actually have more activists going on and more activism?
6: Um, you know, I think there's definitely more. Um, I think that's both. On the one hand, social media makes it possible for us to, you know, as we talked about, a very small number of individuals can really trigger very large uh, changes or I wouldn't say change, but you can get a lot immediate visibility because of social media. I think you know Uber uh, had this problem in January where there was a delete Uber, which uh, tweet campaign that went viral, and it started with just one journalist mm. tweeting about it, and then and, you know it just within a day, I think there were 200,000 people, 200,000 who deleted their Uber accounts. Can you imagine wow. that happening ten years? Yes. No.
2: Yeah. I mean, cause we yes. had big, we had like the Exxon Valdez you talked about yes. in, in your writings. And mm-hmm. I mean, we had other major issues with, uh, with, I mean, um, yeah, corporations, but none of them had this, the power of, and the virility of social media.
6: Yes. The power and the virality and, uh, you know, the immediacy as well, I would say, because it's something that happens right now. And, you know, People will talk about stuff, uh, you know, they say in the office, in the water coolers or at the water cooler. Now that stuff just becomes, uh, you know, immediately we we just take our smartphones and we start talking about it to our friends and, you know, or even maybe uh, these online conversations on Twitter or, you know, any other medium of communication. So I think that's the immediacy as well. It's something that's something you can do right now. Go and delete Uber. Go and do something. Yeah. Right?
2: Get on it now. And is it um, because, too, we saw with the election and President Trump uh, yes. could, could so easily also bring up, for example, a company like Ford or some company that was about to export jobs, allegedly. And then all of a the sudden, these PR companies had to face some major backlash just simply because the president brought them up? Are our, our organizations, are our companies getting better at understanding how to manage social media today?
6: They definitely are because, you know, their survival depends upon understanding these um, online, you know, what we call the consumer sentiment towards the companies. And, uh, you know, for instance, I think one example I can think of is a company such as Disney, they are very sensitive to what their, you know, what the consumers think about them. So for instance, uh, if someone goes to a Disney store, you know, and little kid says, how come they're not enough? Uh, You know, there's a lot of princess stuff, but I don't see, you know, something else for, Mm -hmm. you know, girls. And I think there was another famous example where that happened with Target, where a little girl, uh, you know, was complaining about how come there's only princess stuff for children, you know, little girls want to be superheroes too or some such and um, target acted on it very immediately the, you know these companies do monitor right so if the the uh, literally what companies need to do is they have to have the ear to the ground and really monitor these conversations as they're happening and thanks to you know so much of uh technology big data and analytics uh, We have the power, we have the ability to do that, monitor these conversations, keep listening. And a bad incident or, or, you know, something that happens can actually be an exercise for the company to take responsibility and actually make it, you know, something of force for the positive. Mm. Say, look, this is how I can address your concerns. This is how I can rebuild your trust, right? Boy, so really it can
2: become, it's like weight training, It enough resistance helps strengthen you.
6: Yes, I think that's absolutely, you know, I completely agree with that analogy. Um, You know, I think companies need to figure out how they can't break, right? So here is all this power of activism and consumer outrage, but here I can do something about it
1: as well.
2: Yeah. I I mean, because when you all of a sudden think that you can lose, you know, $100 100 million dollars in market cap or you can learn you could lose 200,000 users of your app Th- these little mistakes become very very expensive mistakes and d- i guess do you sense we'll have more and more of them in the future or do you sense that uh this is just a you know an activism bubble
6: um you know that remains to be seen um, right, because um, you know there are people who criticize the online activism by saying that it is more. Um, I think there's a phrase called flactivism. Huh. I don't know if you've heard. Yeah. it's just we're not really doing any meaningful action. We're just going and tweeting about it. So ultimately, will this um, lead to some um, sort of change in how corporations behave? I would say the one recent example where social media has changed something is actually Uber, where um, there was a completely different. But there was um, uh, there was a woman who was an engineer, and she wrote a post about this pattern of sort of gender, um, you know, harassment at Uber, mm. and now that has um, really led to a lot of conversations where you know many women. Felt that they could come forward and say, "Look, uh, the Silicon Valley culture is—you uh, know—it tends to have its drawbacks in terms of maybe it's not um, inclusive enough um, towards, um, you know, women, or there's there's certain issues that need to be addressed, and um, there's at least more—you know—we can see that suddenly more people are talking about it." And companies are trying to do something about it. So it could be, you know, a catalyst. Social media could be, um, you know, could change things. I think one thing beyond um, companies that has actually social media has impacted a lot is actually politics. Yeah. You raised the issue of President Trump. And some people call President Trump the first Twitter president.
2: Hmm. It's true. So,
6: you know. He really has tapped into, you know, a lot of um, what people are concerned about and no other politician is talking about.
2: And has 30 million, you know, Twitter followers or whatever or social media followers and now can take the message directly to them instead of having to even go through the filtered, what he would say is like the filtered press.
6: Yes. And, you know, whether you agree or disagree or, you know, whichever, we have to understand what that means for the political process, correct?
2: Yeah. And, well, he also uh-huh. can be a bully, right? I mean, he, you could – when you have such power, you could be a bully uh, and, and almost intimidate. It almost seemed like at the beginning of his presidency, there was an intimidation mm-hmm. going on to certain companies to, to do what he needed them to do, to get on board, to save jobs, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, and so – Boy, I mean, it's a—it ends up becoming a whole different ball game.
6: Yes, I think the whole different ball game is the main issue that you know politicians, especially, and in fact, I think one, I've um, listened to a recent interview where President Trump actually talked about this. He mentioned that you know his opponent outspent him and spent a lot of money on, you know, doing a lot of things that ultimately didn't really, um, you know, have the necessary effect. So it's not like um, you know Hillary Clinton did not have a good um, you know um, message. Yeah. Or, uh, it's it's really the effectiveness with which she could get her message versus how he could get his message, and what that means for water, uh, you know voter turnout, voter engagement. Um, so the whole political process. So what is um, you know beyond uh the uh, issue of companies and uh, connecting with consumers, I think this is the larger issue of how we are, what is the civic engagement that's going on? How does social media change it? You know, yeah. and we already are seeing that uh, process underway. That's oh, my feeling.
2: Totally. That's really good. We're speaking with Dr. Anjana Suzarla, and she's walking us through the new, the, you know, the new social agreement, the new social contract, what it all means when it comes to social media and your impact to, to activate change with organizations. When we come back, we'll continue the discussion. Also, we're going to talk about why, what makes something so viral? What is it that actually turns an Uber story into 200,000 people deleting an app? Why does that happen? How does that happen? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you understand not just your life, but uh, how your life is created through social media. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Boy, you know what? You make one mistake as a company and it spreads like a wildfire. On the phone with us is Dr. Anjana Susarla. She's a professor of business at Michigan State University and uh, she studies big dates, uh, service supply chain, social media, and entrepreneurship and innovation and also has won the Microsoft Prize by the International Network of Social Network Analysis Sunbelt at the Analysis Sunbelt Conference. And we're honored to have her on the show to help us understand what makes something go viral. Uh, Anjana, help us with that because all of a sudden, mm-hmm. you know, you know, I, I, there's a lot of people trying to make things go viral, but they don't work. And yet uh, Uber doesn't want something to go viral, and it went viral. What is the key to making it go viral?
6: Well, on you know, the number of things um one is um there's just a handful of very influential people online you know something they tweet about definitely can make something go viral, correct um but what I found in my own research was that some incident that such as the uber its ability to trigger conversation right um the more it's likely it doesn't matter whether it's something positive or something negative. The more people, it taps into something people um, feel strongly about. That is what makes things go viral.
2: Interesting. Yeah, so it's got to hit that nerve.
6: Yes, absolutely.
2: That's interesting because uh, the the airlines thing really hits a nerve because even if the companies are trying to be good and helpful, to already have a seat and a ticket and then to have them try to take you off the plane, even though you have a seat and a ticket – Boy that strikes a nerve as unfair. so then then what you're saying then then you know and, and I guess I guess too, a picture is worth a thousand words, right so if I, if I have a great video of this and then I get it to a handful of really well placed, kind of more socially activist uh, Twitter leaders, then it could yes. spread.
6: Absolutely. you know it's having those two things, having that initial people who watch it engage with it strongly enough and they care about it so they are li- literally like uh, ambassadors for you know this piece of uh, content or you know mm-hmm. the news and they are the ones who are spreading the message and they will spread the message if they care strongly enough about it so nothing like you know there were three four different videos showing the same incident I think that is really important for, you know, to understand what happened with the yeah. United airline.
2: Three or four different people witnessing the same effect and then yes. they get it out and then somehow it gets to these these bigger guardians, whatever we call them, the gatekeepers.
6: Gatekeepers. Absolutely. So it's the combination of having people feel strongly about something and getting it to the gatekeepers. And the people who are strongly concerned about something can also, you know, they're talking to each other. It's that whole... Um, having that sort of critical mass of conversations and that meets the influential people, that's really key to getting it viral.
2: Because the a lot of these gatekeepers are journalists. They're maybe popular figures, movie stars, actors, whatever. But I guess when they when they see... The turbulent uh, and the turbulence in the water because the conversations are so strong and there's a critical mass of conversation. They want to insert themselves into that conversation.
6: Yes, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, I think that increasingly, uh, if you're looking at these celebrities, um, for example, the Kardashians or, you know, even someone like Beyonce, I'm pretty sure all these people have really great social media team who monitors, you know, yeah. this kind of stuff. As you said, to insert themselves into the conversation, uh, you know, that makes a difference. It makes probably for that celebrity, too, it's part of their image, you know, how they can they can put themselves out there. Right. Right. So it's, it's really this kind of reciprocal effect. And that's all happening because of social media.
2: Well, and it's, it's interesting, too. Even if you have a really good team and a good sense, uh, like one of the Kardashian girls got... In trouble with that Pepsi commercial, that Pepsi ad that then blew back on Pepsi because they, they didn't seem Pepsi didn't seem to read it right, and then it yes. too spread with virality through um through the same through the same way, and then Pepsi brought that ad down as fast as they could.
6: Yes, and you know I think that was smart on their part. They just realized that you know the best thing you can do in that situation is you just contain the damage.
2: Yeah, I guess that's good PR, huh? They they recognize yes. instead of instead of yes. making comments that made it worse, they just contained yes. the damage.
6: Yes, and you know, that's exactly what United did wrong because the CEO was basically, um, you know, he just had repeatedly several opportunities or several there were there were several moments in which he could have done something different. Yeah. Right. And, you know, Pepsi, on the other hand, was just smart about, okay, it didn't work. Fine. You know, we will deal with it. And I think it's both. It's understanding the power of social media is also to be smart about, okay, it's a mistake, you know, let's kind of take this off the air. So I think that's also important lesson for companies.
2: Well yeah, when the CEO made the whole reaccommodate we were reaccommodating him statement, it dug a bigger hole. Do you sense that um and I mean then it becomes then it becomes Saturday night live fodder and it becomes yeah. but uh, do, do you sense that the same uh social media kind of activism movement um it almost seems like there's kind of no principle to it. They'll bring down anybody they can at any time they can or is there a conscience to social media activism
6: well i would say that you know there um ultimately the the things that would go really viral are the things that you know in the case of uh, united we can all agree that it was not necessarily the best course of action you know behaving like that right now there was a lot of discussion among the business press. You know, what could they have done? I think the best example was something like, um, you know, I think uh, Jeff Bezos, the CEO of Amazon, he said something in his letter to shareholders that, you know, we cannot just the companies will do stuff based on whatever processes they have, right? But defending that process and saying, well, we followed the process, that's I think the bigger message for companies. I think when they do that, that makes the whole social media outrage worse. Yeah. So coming back to your question of is there a conscience or isn't there a conscience? Well, I think that's why I would just um, talk about the social contract being violated. I think when we perceive those, um, when our trust is broken, so that's the conscience part for social media. That at some aggregate level, that's, you know, there is some sort of filter going on where people have some genuine amount of, uh, you know, uh, they feel the system is broken. And, you know, you could say that about President Trump's uh, supporters. Yeah. They feel that, you know, it's not working for them. system is not working for them. And uh, fundamentally, beyond all the conversations, there's, you know, online trolls, there's like all this, questions about how civil is conversation on social media. But if you remove all that, I think at some level, the conscience, what's the ultimate thing driving, you know, and that there is ultimately a sense that uh, people feel that, look, I place trust in this company or in the political process and my trust is broken. And I think that 's what 's driving all
2: this um, these kind of incidents it's um and we even see it so if you know with the Trump situation, so many people that have felt disenfranchised um, mm-hmm. they they finally have a voice, i guess in president trump um, mm-hmm. but what you made a really good point that at some at some point there is this contract there's a, this agreement between the end user, the end buyer, and the company. And no matter what's happening, you better be listening, I guess, is the lesson here. We need to be listening or you're going to pay.
6: Yes, I completely agree with that.
2: Yes. And, and even if you don't like what they're saying or even if they're not informed, then inform them through your PR. But, yes. but you better be listening to the pains they're expressing because really, United, and I think it's important, like United Airlines is the one taking the brunt of the hit. But really, all airlines should be paying attention to what happened to United. Um, Absolutely. Right? Because it, there's there's mm-hmm. a lot of upset people that are tired of being, you know, treated like animals um, and corralled yeah. around. So so mm-hmm. I, I guess how do you formalize that in the business model? And Jeff Bezos, it sounds like he's, he's basically saying that, that very thing. You can't just leave it up to our policies. We've got to be learning. We've got to be adapting.
6: Absolutely. And, you know, I would say that um, – You you were talking about the United incident, how it reflects on all airlines. One of the things that actually some of the research on social media suggests, right? For example, this Volkswagen, you know, there was this whole emissions scandal. And that was also, you know, became viral on social media and became such a prominent thing because of social media. Um, In the case of Volkswagen, now, when something like that happens, it reflects badly on all automobile companies. Because consumers make that sort of, uh, you know, there's like a negative halo they will attribute to other car companies as well. Anytime there's a product recall or some negative incident that happens, if, uh, you know, a close competitor of Volkswagen thinks, oh, we are going to benefit, it's not necessarily the case, you know. It's not like all the disgruntled consumers will immediately come to Volkswagen's competitors. Yeah. They are probably saying, oh, these guys are no better, you know. And so it's very important to keep listening and to find ways to deal with, uh, you know, customers or, um, you know, whoever, their sense of, their feeling that our needs have not been met. So companies need to understand that. Mm.
2: Do you have an example of a company that you feel like overall is doing a really good job with their social media? and? Even taking the feedback, learning, growing, adapting—I mean, you mentioned Disney, um, mm-hmm. but give us some examples of of some companies that might be leaders in the use of social media.
6: I think Starbucks is a great example because uh, you know, Starbucks is a company that not only is always listening, it has it really respects its consumers' voice. And you know, there are cases where Starbucks consumers actually. Take the initiative, you know. Um, there was this whole immigration ban, which is not really an immigration ban. It's made out to be an immigration ban on social media. Um, but you know, in that case, there were some people who were not happy with Starbucks CEO because he was uh, took sort of this proactive stance. But when uh, you know people went on on Facebook and Twitter and all these places and were talking about how we don't, we want to boycott Starbucks, there were enough other consumers Hmm. who just, you know, went out there and said, let's go and drink Starbucks, you know, buy Starbucks.
2: Interesting, yeah.
6: And it's like Starbucks didn't have to do really much or didn't have to do anything. Just let customers take the initiative and let this become, you know. And they uh, created a
2: discussion, right? They created a dialogue.
6: Absolutely. So, you know, they created a dialogue, and they have these very passionate and loyal uh, consumers. Who look at Starbucks as their extension of their lifestyle, or extension of their, you know, ideas or philosophy, or you know, what have you? Um, so that's sort of creating that kind of a, um, you know, um, a, a, a strong bond with the con- consumers by keeping them sort of constantly involved, right? That, that I think that's a great example.
2: Yeah, no, that is a great example, and really, I guess the perfect example of this uh this social contract it, and maybe not even having to take a position as the company but allowing and facilitating the dialogue and and then i guess for being responsive like you were saying um dr An- anjana susarla thank you so much and we appreciate you and your great work there at michigan state university keep it up boy we're learning a lot aren't we as uh, as, as social media takes off and continues to progress Um, what are we going to do? We got, uh, we got a lot of learning to do, especially every company as well. We'll take a break. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend show, helping you be the good in the world, even on social media. Welcome back friends to the Matt Townsend show. Um, you having a hard time managing your social media? Do you notice that you're just flat out addicted? In fact, they say the millennials cannot go longer than five hours without checking their social media. Many can't go an hour without uh, doing something with it. And so what on earth are you supposed to do, for heaven's sakes? Well, uh, in the, in the uh, magazine The Atlantic, they have suggested that you quit social media every other day. One approach for people interested in breaking the compulsive checking habit is, okay, you don't have to quit, you don't have to go without, just start taking an every other day approach. And what you're going to do is you're going to allow yourself to kind of digitally detox by just saying, I will only look at it on even days. I will only respond on even days. I will only post on even days. And then, you know, you'll have a really calm, relaxing, beautiful, non-social media day. And then you'll have your crazy, frantic, anxious social media day. And see what that does. It's a simple way, right? Um, I I do that about once a week. I I really get into social media. And other than that, I pretty much don't go there very often. I for sure don't ever go there to post. But how about that? Just a simple little fast. And make sure, too, that you're very careful um, because of the virality of social media. You've got to be careful that you don't become just somebody that spreads the germs, right? So think about everything you repost. Think about everything you like. Make sure that you're happy with your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, and great-great-grandkids knowing that mom and dad were standing for this thing or grandma and grandpa were standing for this point. And be willing to take a little break. Every other day. And, hey, when you really want to get crazy, every third day if you want to wean off of that crazy stuff. Anyway, fun stuff, helping you be better at it. That's the goal of the show. We'll take a break. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter.
1: At Dr. Matt Show.
0: Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU.
1: This is the
2: Matt Townsend Show.
1: Dr. Matt Townsend.
0: Now
2: on BYU
1: Radio.
3: BYU Radio.
2: Welcome back, friends, to the program. Happy 5th of July to you. The uh, less celebrated day. The day of
4: recovery. The The day... The boxing day of Independence Day.
2: Yes. Well, you go sweep up all the fireworks that you shot off from the night before. Holy cow. It looks like a war zone in my neighborhood. It's a lot of carnage. Plus, usually, like, when we mow the lawn, we'll find a bunch of Roman candles. Oh, yeah. Somehow made it from everyone else. We don't purchase any fireworks, and so we, but we get to clean up. It's kind of neat that way.
3: I was very responsible. I put the fireworks all in one small area. And then douse them with water afterwards and then wow. promptly threw them away
4: in the trash.
2: Really? mm mm-hmm. See, our neighbors leave theirs out to
4: kind of cool down. Let the other cars drive over them, kind yeah. of pummel them into mm-hmm. just dust, and then they blow away. It's kind of nice. That's really the better way to do it. Less work.
2: <laughs> what is it about us that we we live in this great country and then we think, okay, let's create a lot of smoke, pollution, let's burn things. And then let's just leave a lot of garbage out. Have you ever lit something on fire and then had it explode? Uh, and it, did I – you mean like like it surprised me that no, it exploded? No, no, like, you,
4: It was supposed to explode.
2: No, yeah. I love it. It's that. kind of fun. No, it's really that's fun. That's really the entire mental process. Here. And it's a brilliant marketing mm-hmm. strategy by these companies. Right. Buy our stuff. It will explode and you watch it burn and you just keep paying us. The cleaning up part of it ah, – it's too late to clean it up. We'll do it in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> we're tired. So I mentioned to you that our fireworks were – pretty lackluster.
3: So to make them more exciting, I put a few of the, you know, just the really tiny ones inside the box that they came in and lit the box on fire. Oh, yeah. So then when
2: those took off, it was it so was you, pretty cool. You started making your own fire. Yeah. <laughs> there's something I think wow. there's something about human nature where not only do you want it to burn and explode, but you're like, maybe we could make it explode even more. Yes. Yeah. Just a little kerosene, a little whatever you have. Just douse S- it with gas. Some gasoline <laughs> fire. And then, then you see the crowds of kids walking around the neighborhoods. That always scares me too. Like what are they doing? Right. With, what's with, what, what are they doing with that M80? Because <laughs> we're missing an M80. I'm sick of dynamite basically. Where did that go? Hmm. Oh, I'm getting old. Man, we got a lot to talk about today. Today we're going to be talking about uh how to make sure you're not setting your kids up to be an emotional eater. You know? Like I had to eat because somehow my food and my plate were connected to people in Africa. Yes. <laughs> so it's serving. like <laughs> yes. you got to eat it because you don't want the African
4: people to die. This is true. So
2: You, you know, be careful.
4: Or, or more respect the fact that you have food and other people you know it's not a luxury yeah. that they have every day so
3: i don't use that argument anymore because i'm trying to eat better and so i say eat your food there are starving people in this household
2: mm. ah that's really that's moving mm. bring yeah. it home cuz you right. did have kfc and you only had one drumstick yeah it's kind of a downer kind of a downer so we will we'll be talking about that but also when your kids get emotional do you hand them A Twinkie? You're sad. Here's a donut. Here's a donut. That'll make you happy. That makes mama happy. No, it's the iPad. We hand them the iPad. So now, instead, some kids are getting food, and that makes them kind of addicted to food, emotional eaters. Some get the iPad. They're emotional gamers. Think about it, parents. So we'll be talking with an expert about that. Also, of course, getting to uh, what we call the empty news, the Matt Townsend news, all the headlines that you didn't even know you needed to know. Some of which you really be better be paying attention to. Watch out for seagulls. Mm. Apparently, they're attacking kids on schoolyards. They can be jerks. Yeah. You got to watch out for that. That's all you need is an aggressive seagull trying to carry your child away. Also, um, a driver rams into a police headquarters. Maybe not the smartest move, unless you're trying to break in. And we've got a new sponsor coming up um, and a story about what how to get rid of skunks and skunk smells. If a skunk – if you've done been skunked, then you better listen up because we have a new sponsor that can help. It's, it's, It's insurance in a way. We'll get to that straight ahead. But first to Terry South with the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the country?
4: So were it not for Illinois' flirtation with a junk credit downgrade and New Jersey Governor Chris Christie's luxuriating on a closed public beach, the budget woes of U.S. states may not have assumed their annual spot in the dustbin of public policy history. This is from Bloomberg. They got very... Eloquent with their, yeah, they did. writing there. But basically, Illinois almost went bankrupt, and uh, New Jersey closed their beaches. But Chris Christie was out there hanging out, and everyone else couldn't use the beach. And all of that's because the the states couldn't figure out their budgets. You got to have a budget. So there was some shutdowns, and you know things are happening, and they became news. But usually that stuff isn't news. No, no. But it says this year spending strife is unusually widespread, with 11 states missing their July 1st fiscal year deadlines. In a poor economy, states often free spending while lawmakers and the chief executive work out how to plug budget holes. This year, standoffs come amid rocket or record stock market gains and low national unemployment. So there really shouldn't be this sort of strife. It should yeah. be maybe easier to deal with the budget issues. Some disagreements even split members of the same party. In Delaware, with a Democratic governor and legislature, they finally struck an agreement two days late. Uh, dealing with government spending in Wisconsin. It was led by, the whole state's led by Republicans in Mm -hmm. Wisconsin, but they were all hung up on transportation and school funding debates. Yeah. they're not sure how to fund it and so strife within their own party kind of paralyzes the actual getting the budget accomplished. So Come it's on. kind of weird. It's across the whole country, yeah, 11 states. Warner Brothers and the estate of the author J.R.R. Tolkien announced Monday that they amicably resolved an 80 million dollar lawsuit over the alleged digital exploitation of the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. The Tolkien estate uh, book publisher HarperCollins filed a lawsuit against Warner Brothers in 2012, allegedly, uh, alleging that the company had breached contract by marketing online games, slot machines, and other gambling-related merchandise based on Tolkien's books. Yeah. The estate claimed the 1969 rights agreement entered by, entitled the studio to create only tangible merchandise associated with the books. Not gambling. Not gambling. It's not associated with gambling. So that
3: wasn't there a, a character named uh, Gambloff or something? Could have been. Could have been.
4: Another news for Gambloff. the number is now up to 44 states that are refused to provide certain types of voter information to the uh, White House Administration's elect, what, Election Integrity Commission, according yeah. to CNN.
2: So they this is Trump trying to prove that there was election fraud. And yeah. 44 states, in fact, if you notice, most of those like
4: GOP-run states, too, right. are saying... We'll give you whatever's public. Some have laws with privacy yeah, h- involved not, with voter registration. You're not getting the our info. data. Even the, uh, the guy running it is the attorney general from uh, Kansas, and his state was one of the first ones to step up and go, uh, no. No, doing not this. State leaders and voting boards across the country responded to this letter that was sent out to all 50 states with varying degrees of cooperation from altogether rejecting their quest to expressing eagerness to supply public information. They're just not into it. No. Like Texas went, no, there's no way we're giving you all that information. Why? Why would I do that? And finally, because of 4th of July and people blowing stuff up, we always get these funny stories of what people decided to do with their fireworks. Yeah. and varying degrees of danger. Uh, A Michigan garage was uh, reduced to a pile of ashes on uh, Tuesday after a homeowner attempted to use fireworks to remove a bee's nest from the building. Oh boy. The homeowner was doing something with a smoke bomb trying to get the bees nest out of the garage, the fire chief in the local town said. No one was injured and the fire was contained to the garage and a neighboring fence, sparing the home and property and the neighborhood probably. The homeowner, uh, Mike Tingley, said that while he was saddened by the damage to his garage, he was glad it wasn't worse. Wow.
3: Very fitting name
2: too. Tingly. That's what it feels like when you got a bunch of bee stings. <laughs> Did um so they just want to smoke the smoke 'em out. Yes. I mean, that, there's that moment that you're like, you're sliding the smoke bomb into the uh,
4: beehive. Yes. If that's how we did it. I'm not sure how
2: Yeah. We there, did there's it. just that thought that maybe maybe I shouldn't do this.
4: The the smart thing there was the story didn't describe the process because, you know, somebody will go, yeah. oh, I'd do that well, better. I, We got a beehive. See, I thought maybe he had a Roman candle or yeah. any other of these high flying fireworks and just kind of set that under the beehive oh, yeah, just, and bam, lit it up. Bam. Yeah. No.
2: Um, we. We went swimming, and a boy that went swimming with us got – he was stung by a, a hornet. Hmm. It was pretty sad. So what you're saying is don't swim. Uh, I didn't so – say so I don't swim that's, anymore. I think
3: that's the moral of the story.
2: I mean like – I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I'm never – whenever somebody says, let's go swimming. Yeah. I actually – I think, oh, that's great. I'll read because then I can go read. I went swimming. I love it, but yeah. I want to just go read. But they all want to swim. And then this
4: cute little boy got stung. But apparently he gets stung everywhere he goes. See, I, I went swimming indoors. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was just me and my kid in there. And then about 15 minutes later, somebody else showed up, and then some other people, and we left. Then it got weird. Yeah, we're like, eh, yeah. there's too many people in the pool. Was this, was this, this
2: was an indoor pool? Yeah. I was At thinking the hotel. Like it was great.
4: Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. So I went shopping
3: for my own fireworks, and the best name for the firework, that I didn't buy it, but the best name that I saw on one of the fireworks was Red, White, and Boom.
4: Oh, that's a good one. Mm.
2: Yeah, I think I saw that one. I tested well. Did you buy your fireworks in a tent? Yes. So you went to the tent. It was one of those things where it was like, "Oh,
3: if I would have spent 10 more dollars, we could have gotten the big Costco pack and yeah. they would have shot all the way up into the air."
2: That's right. So yours yours were pretty much yours were all grounded.
3: Yeah, but the aerial the aerial ones uh-huh. were dead silent.
2: Yeah. And uh, my daughters were so disappointed. But the aerial ones, again, I watched uh, from a really nice perch overlooking the entire Salt Lake Valley, and there were literally every second mm-hmm. hundreds of the aerial ones going off everywhere. It was amazing. So I thought with all the fire danger and the heat that we'd be not having these fireworks, but yeah. apparently you can burn. We're all, we're all pyros. Burn, baby, burn. Disco inferno. Burn, baby, burn. That's what my mom used to say as she would cook us dinner. Wow. Yeah. Hmm.
4: Was burn. she talking
2: to you or the food? The food. Okay. Yeah. I uh I I was famous once in church for stealing a Johnny Carson quote. I think it was Johnny, maybe it was Jay Leno. Hmm. He said I think he said something like My mother my mother was a great cook. Wasn't wasn't a great cook, but I mean she knew her limits and she used a smoke detector to, as a timer for her cooking. Oh, okay. And she, what she would do is wait till the smoke detector went off and then she'd wait five more minutes and she'd know her food is done. There you go. <laughs> so he said that once on like Johnny Carson and then I stole that joke and took it to church the next day, which was Mother's Day, mm. and used that exact same joke. Wow. I didn't know you couldn't steal a joke. Right. Whatever. And then you didn't have dinner that night. And then amazingly, that's when my mother started to ignore me. I think she called it <laughs> shunning. That's when the shunning began. Hey, seagulls force school children to retreat from the playground after vicious attacks. By the way, have you ever had a bird mad at you? Have you ever, like, walked by a goose that didn't want you near his lake or oh, whatever? Yeah, yeah. And they just they chase I mean, you. Yeah. It's scary. Birds are aggressive, birds are scary.
3: We once came out to our car, and there was only bird doo on our windshield. <laughs> Nowhere else around the car, just like
2: shot after shot after shot. On your car? On the car. And is, you told me, I think you, we talked about this, wasn't there etched in the bird doo-doo the word red rum? Yeah, it was either that or your next. Ah. Uh, yeah. Was it in like a sharp little kind of claw talon thing? <laughs> um seagulls force primary school pupils to play indoors on one of the hottest days of the year after they dive bombed school children the gulls were removed from the primary school uh, in Gwynedd, wales after several attacks on their students and staff for over a year the gulls had been nesting on the roof of the school however they became increasingly violent after chicks fell from the nest last week fear of the sharp beaks led the school to enact a lockdown Ooh, a beak down. Those are the worst. The lockdown, because of a beak, at least uh, twice a week. At one stage, parents were too scared to pick up their kids from school as the goals persistently attacked anyone who crossed their paths. Man.
4: Rockin', rockin they should have brought a uh, loaf of bread. Yeah. That's how you get them. The beach, I love this. Uh, seagulls, my head, not
1: fun. I said seagulls.
2: one of the great songs by uh, BLR bad lip reading seagulls stop it now nothing scarier than a seagull when it's dropped a pup or a chick (laughs) this is actually Yoda singing this (laughs) it's a great song Is what is it? What's the name of this? Really? Seagulls. Stop it now. Yeah, you got Yeah, it's a great song. Seagulls. Stop stop it now. Uh, So watch out for those dive bombing seagulls. They'll get you every single time. They'll, you know, they'll just get you. Hey, a Pennsylvania family is rebuilding after a skunk spray ruins their home. Uh, the family is slowly rebuilding their life and their home seven months after the skunk sneaked into the home and ruined it. Scott Gray says the family's plight is worse than if their home was ruined by fire because their insurance won't cover the damage. Apparently, there's no skunk insurance. Hmm. Unbelievable. Gray says the skunk apparently sneaked into the house, through a doggy door, and then spent three hours inside the family's dogs uh, inside with the family's dog, spraying its noxious scent everywhere. The family threw away toys, furniture, appliances. They had to strip the house down to its wood framing to get rid of the odor. Unbelievable. The family had been living in a small apartment down the street while they rebuild. So far, they spent more than $30,000 out of pocket just because of a stinky skunk. Wow. It's a lot of money. Which brings us to our our, – one of our new sponsors. And I
3: don't think you know a whole lot about this sponsor, so I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean I just think if if you could have some insurance against skunks, it would be fantastic.
3: Well, you're going to love this product that they have available. Let's hear it. We here at Allstink believe in the importance of protecting your most valuable asset, your family. And that means protecting your most valuable sense, your sense of smell. That's why Allstink offers Offensive Comprehensive Insurance. Now, what exactly does Offensive Comprehensive Insurance cover? Let's say Aunt Edna stops by for a visit and removes her shoes. Believe it or not, the lingering bouquet from Aunt Edna's funky feet is covered. Or how about when it's April Fool's Day and your old college roommate sneaks in and hides an open can of tuna fish in your vent that you don't find for two weeks? That fishy foulness is covered. And if you've always been a stinky person yourself, go ahead and purchase our package anyway because Offensive Comprehensive also covers pre-existing conditions. If you're still unsure as to what this insurance covers, just remember, if it's offensive, we cover it. All stinks offensive comprehensive insurance for when life stinks.
2: Welcome back, friends. You know, surveys reveal that 38% of adults say they eat more when they're stressed or they're sad. The problem is that emotional eating increases your risk of becoming overweight later in life. Regularly eating a large number of additional calories for reasons other than hunger won't do your waistline any favors. So, here to help us with some research that they've been doing is Silje uh, Steinsbeck. and Silje uh, is an associate professor at the Department of Psychology at the Norwegian Norwegian University of Science and Technology. Um, and we're honored to have him on the show. Thank you so much for being with us, Silje.
0: Thank you for inviting me, and I'm impressed by the pronunciation of this long, long name. But it's, it was actually quite correct.
2: Oh, good, thank you. And it, uh, that's the, my team helping me make sure it sounds right. Silje, this is this. It's. We, I guess we don't want to, you know, make parents feel like they're ruining their children by uh, by how they're parenting. Except how we teach our kids to manage emotion makes a big difference in their life, doesn't it?
0: Yes, it makes a difference because I mean, experiencing negative emotions is part of being a human being. So it's important that children learn how to deal with negative emotions, like being sad or, or getting angry. And eating is is not the way to to handle feelings.
2: Right? How? What? What are you noticing in your research? What? What? I mean, I guess the problem is when we have emotions, a parent might, you know, here, honey, have a. Snickers or some candy bar, or what are parents doing that might be setting up their child to become an emotional eater?
0: We wanted to specifically test whether parental emotional feeding, as you suggest, giving them a lolly if they're sad, if it leads to emotional overeating in children. So we analyzed data from the test cohort, which is a study of nearly thousand families in Trondheim, Norway. And we asked the parents to rate the emotional overeating of their children as well as their own habits of giving sweets or snacks to calm or cheer up their children. Um, and parents answered these, these questions whether kids were 6, 8, and 10 years old. And we found that emotional feeding is indeed a risk factor for children to develop emotional overeating habits because offspring of parents who reported to use food to soothe their child displayed more emotional eating over time.
2: Mm, that's scary, and 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 how much more? I mean, does it does it does it get more every year that they're doing it? Does it is it just a little bit yeah, more? How does yeah, that work? That's,
0: that's kind of how it works because when we 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 test whether it actually predicts uh, more emotional eating two years later, accounting for the the baseline, so to speak, of emotional eating, so the level of emotional eating increases. Um, but the, the, int- the interesting thing is that it also goes the other way around. Um, as you know, children are not only passive recipients of their parents' behavior. They also affect their parents. And our studies show that parents whose children were more likely to emotionally overeat displayed more emotional feeding over time. So emo- parents' emotional feeding promoted emotional eating in children, and children's emotional eating promoted parents' emotional feeding. So wow. a Reciprocal, and they kind of reinforce each other's behavior, so to speak, like like in a vicious circle.
2: Well, yeah, and then, but then you can almost see how this becomes a kind of a family tradition, uh, something we don't yeah, mean to yeah. do, but it, the tradition is when we're stressed, when times are tough, we all start eating.
0: Yeah, and also, you know, parents affect the children's eating behavior by the way they model eating behavior. So if uh, if a daughter see sees her, her mother regularly eating sweets when she's distressed, well, that's how she learns also how to, to deal with emotions, that it, it helps eating. And it's it's no big deal if you have a chocolate now and then to, to soothe yourself. I mean, most people do yeah. that. That's perfectly fine. As long as that is not your regular way of of uh, in, or your typical strategy to handle negative emotions. And, and parents should not feel bad if they know and then give a child this lolly or whatever, ice cream, whatever. The thing is, what do they do on a regular basis? Because parents are not supposed to be perfect. They're supposed to be good enough.
2: Right. That's such a great that's such a great statement. They're not supposed to be perfect. They're supposed to be good enough. I guess the key to this is emotional management. At some point, we, we probably need to deal with the emotion before we engage food or anything else, you know, to take away the pain.
0: Yeah, yeah. If a child cries or is upset, put him or her on your lap, depending on the age, of course. Give him a hug. Uh, talk to him. Try to calm him down. Just not trying. Not, not Don't tell him it's nothing to cry about or, or put yourself together. It, it's allowed to be sad or upset. And it's that the child needs to experience that. It's okay for my mother and my father that I'm actually am upset that I feel this way. It's okay. And in that way, these negative emotions turn into be more handleable. You're not they're not scary. But if your parents get so upset every time you are upset or sad or angry, you learn that well, feeling like this it's dangerous. My parents get upset. It's it's not allowed in our family to to have negative emotions. And that's not good for your mental health.
2: Well I'm that's sure. and that's not that's not real in life, right? I mean you're going to have yeah. emotions. And I guess part of uh part of this too is um, the distraction, like we try to, I just, I used to just think I'll just distract my kid from their pain. Um, Mm. but it might be better to just let them, but a distraction could easily be the food, but it could also be nowadays technology here, here, play with my phone. And all of a sudden you're giving them some other, um, I guess, emotional tool to distract them in the end. Uh, if we can't deal with our emotion I I never thought of my family as as emotional eaters, but boy, you could see that there are comfort foods, and all of a sudden, your whole social life could become just eating.
0: Mm. Mm. And it's it's as you say, one shouldn't try to avoid negative emotions. Children le- need to, to learn how to deal with emotions. I mean, sometimes we need to just shut the shut themselves up and you have to go to work, even though you right. feel totally bad. But but you need to know how to handle it. Sometimes you need to cry or you need to talk to someone or go for a run or, or even buying a new pair of shoes might help. But the thing is that you need a range of strategies to handle negative emotions and not trying to avoid them because they will be there. If you avoid them, they will somehow... Go into headaches or stomach pains or whatever
2: hmm. is do, you, do I guess do you know yet in the in your study is 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 there a traditions of this is there a history of this where one family might be more inclined to hand it down for multiple generations? Uh,
0: we have it, we haven't possibility to and just to to examine that in our study, but it is well known that you I mean habits uh, runs in families if if. Yeah. And daughters of children or mothers who, who often are on a diet, they're more likely to be dieting themselves and so on to the next generation. So how it is regards to emotional eating, I'm not sure because it has never been investigated. But I guess it's the same as when it comes to other kind of eating behaviors. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. Is it um, maybe define for us what is emotional eating? Uh, because some may not know that they're doing it.
0: Emotional eating is also known is, is the tendency to eat more in response to negative emotion um, and is among uh, and it's among the eating behaviors associated with overweight and disordered eating so and although the most biologically natural response to emotional distress is actually to eat less as children mature they tend to emotionally overeat rather than undereat hmm. um, and the thing is that when people emotionally overeat they usually Go for sweets and palatable food. I mean, you don't feel like having carrot if you're upset. Right. You feel like having, and that's why, that's because our brain is rewarded by this sweet and fat food. And it's not rewarded that way by a carrot or other vegetables.
2: And and then do they end up, so they kind of binge eat, but then do they end up, uh, you know, then, then bulimia kicks in or they might do other things to then get rid of the food.
0: Yeah, if you overeat, but so and yeah, so emotionally eating, eating is linked. There is an increased risk for later eating disorder symptoms such as bulimia, as you suggest. Um, but it, it doesn't always have to be huge amounts
1: of mm.
0: food. But it's just the way that you you ha- I feel upset, so I have a chocolate and I feel better. And it's also because we, our brain, as I said, responds to that, so it 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 actually kind of works. But if you – that's why I say it doesn't matter if you have a chocolate, now and then to soothe yourself. The problem is if you do that all the time, you feel – if I feel bad, I eat chocolate. Because that is going to be a lot of chocolate for most people. I mean, sometimes you feel upset quite long periods of time. Right. And that's why it's linked to to overweight and obesity because you, you eat much more than you actually
1: need.
2: And um, so, I mean, because, too, chocolate and food has – I guess it has the psychological benefit, but there's also chemicals involved. So it, yeah, d- does this lead definitely. to other dependencies later in life?
0: Um, I'm, I'm not familiar with the studies. I've actually seen um, whether it's an increased risk, but it's, it has been shown by you know, MRI um, yeah, ways of taking pictures of your brain that it's the same areas of your brain that are rewarded uh, when you eat. All mm. fat sugar food as uh, as in other kinds of addiction so some some researchers study these behavior as a way as an addictive behavior yes.
2: is so this and is some something people
0: are more responsive actually yeah are more easily triggered kind of
2: and and I guess then too this this then changes your habits going forward it changes how you would raise your children and i guess it sets mm-hmm. a lot of us up to eating disorders but also uh unhealthy eating
0: yeah absolutely absolutely yeah
2: and it i mean that i don't know what it's like in norway or other places but i do know in the united states it's pretty ugly as far as our obesity crisis and our we already have bad eating habits do you do you mm-hmm. associate a lot of our bad eating habits to kind of this emotional eating?
0: Um, at least uh, emotional eating is one among other aspects of what we call emotion eating behavior. Others could be, um, um, in, in, in a former study of our sample, we actually found that we tried to see what, what predicts why do some children... Have a larger increase in BMI than others. This is a a community sample of children, and uh, one of the factors that affected um, the increase in BMI was um, the use of um, food responsiveness. It's a way; it's kind of um, that you are easily triggered by food, and you eat not because you're hungry, but because food is available. So, and you don't stop eating even though you're full, but you just continue eating because the food is available. Yeah. So it's it's a way of eating not based on your inner need, your inner hunger or need for food, but it's because food is available. So And, and people differ in regards to whether they ha- display this trait or eating behavior trait or not. And those who are higher on this trait, who are more likely to eat because food is available, regardless of whether they feel hungry or full, they are more likely to have a steeper increase in BMI than, than other kids. So, and the same goes to emotional eating, that also predicted um, increase in BMI. So, yes, there is a risk, even in normally developing children, um, to have a higher BMI over time if they display these, we, we kind of call them food-approaching eating behaviors because they are as positively associated with overweight in, in children.
2: Mm. What, what advice then do you give us as parents... Uh, to make sure that we you know we don't we don't kind of generate the or, or push the drive for emotional eating, also what do we do to make sure that we don't we're not getting our kids to we 're getting them to approach food in a healthier way
0: um, Parents should uh, model positive eating habits, not use food to sue themselves, and they should actively teach children other ways to handle negative emotions such as seeking comfort, get a hug, cry for a while in the arms of someone or talk to someone. And parents should promote adaptive emotion regulation strategies, such as those I just mentioned. As such, strategies are shown to promote mental health and well-being. Um, And these are much better strategies than giving kids food. Um, and it should all it 's also important that food is eating is not something you 're good at or bad at it's like oh you 're so clever you had you ate all your sandwich. you eat because you 're hungry because your f- body needs food energy, so I advise parents not to reward their their children 's eating in in any way and not use food as reward either because that also promotes more of these food-approaching eating behavior, which we know is associated with all weight.
2: Interesting. We see it, at, I even see it at church, where if everyone will sit quiet in church, we'll give everybody a cupcake and <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> to all these young kids, and then all of a sudden you realize that you're incentivizing them, you're using food as a reward. Interesting.
0: Yeah, you are. Yeah. Boy. You and we go back home and change that habit.
2: Yeah, exactly, and we don't yeah. even know we we didn't we don't know what that's going to do long term, except it does put food in a, in a different category.
0: Yeah, and and some people will say, well, when it, it works, I mean, if you emotionally feed a child, it it, it it's, it's suited and everybody is is fine. So why not do it? Well, exactly, because it's associated with increased risk for overweight and eating distortions. So and. You, your child needs to learn more adaptive ways of handling their negative emotions. That's why.
2: Mm. And it seems like it's easier, right? These are easier ways of motivating, it, but easy doesn't necessarily mean healthy.
0: No, that's that's um, exactly the point. Um, and that's the hard thing about being a parent. parent. It's, it's so much more fun and so much more easier to say yes to everything or no, don't bother about your lessons or don't bother about brushing your teeth but you have to think about what is good for my child in the long run not just here and now and sometimes we don't have the energy or we have a bad day so we we are inconsistent and that's just fine because we don't have to be perfect yeah but, but as long as we in general have a focus on what's good for my child in the long run not only here and now
2: it's powerful well Silje, we appreciate you and your great work Again, uh, Dr. Silje Steinsbeck, an associate professor at the Department of Psychology at Norwegian University of Science and Technology. She's also a clinical child and adolescent psychologist and has been performing research um, on, on our emotional eating habits. Uh, boy, a lot to learn, huh, as parents? Again, it's, it's just you. We know you're trying to be the best parent you can be. Now let's just get more informed and find healthier ways to create motivation for our kids we'll take a break folks stick with us this is the matt townsend show helping you be the good in the world
3: because life doesn't come with a handbook you need a coach here's dr matt and his coaching corner
2: Playball, ball. Welcome back, friends. As we uh, were just talking about um, emotional eating, it's hard to be a parent, which is why if you're fortunate enough to have a, a partner in the process with you, a co-parent, boy, oh boy, are you lucky. And um, now, if you just happen to have a partner, a, a spouse that has yet to take on the role of co-parenting, maybe that could be a great goal that you two work on, you two figure out a way of how we're going to split our parenting duties, you know, many of us are looking for a 50-50 split in parenting. Some of you would just say, hey, I'll take a 70-30 split. If my partner would just step up and pick up 30 percent of the game, that would be great. But in reality, um, I think if we, if you don't long-term want to uh, have this pang of guilt and, um, and sadness that, man, I just wish I had done more as a father, then you – you probably ought to pick up your game now. Let's see if you could be a 100 percent parent, right? So instead of dividing our parental duties, I mean, I guess you can divide the duties 50-50. But in reality, we need to be a 100 percent parent and in a 100 percent of the time if we can be, right? So let me give you some tools and some rules for how you can uh, co-parent and put the co in co-parenting Um Again, number one, remember that all systems reflect their creator. It's one of my favorite topics or, or uh, quotes is that if you don't like your co-parenting system, then know that it it may be reflecting you. And what I mean by that is a lot of times when I have a, a client come in and the, maybe the mom tells me how her husband is never involved, he never seems to make any decisions with the kids, he never picks up his half of the game – um, a lot of times what I find, though, too, is uh, one partner that's disinterested and disconnected and another partner that's so active that uh, it creates a really weird system. So think about it. If I know that my wife is going to do everything for my kids all the time, and then why wouldn't I just naturally pull out and stop? If I know that my wife is going to drive every carpool and drive every time we have to pick up our kids then why would I not just naturally stop? Well, because you should naturally tell her that you want to drive with her and da-da-da. the reality is it's a system. So if you want more help, you probably need to ask for help. If And what you might find out is for some of us, the reason our partner doesn't help is because whenever they do, it's never right. Whenever they do, it's not the way you would do it. Whenever they do, we didn't do it exactly the way you thought it needed to be done. So you may need to lighten up a little bit on your co-partner, your co-parenting partner, and ask them specifically for what you need. You might also want to get on the same parenting page. Sit down and talk about what you really want to be as parents. Imagine you, yourself as grandparents. What do you want your kids to say about you as as you are, let's say, you know, retired and grandparents, how do you want them to remember their childhood with you? What roles do you want to play? What are you willing to sacrifice? Are you willing to sacrifice your workout to help your partner? Are you willing to put your workout later in the day so that you can run the kids to school in the morning? Then you might want to sit down after you have these discussions with your partner and actually identify what, after you've identified what you want to become, rank yourself on a scale from 1 to 10. How effective are you being as a parent when it comes to being the fun parent or when it comes to setting and, and spending time discussing stuff uh, and discussing goals with your kids? Whatever it is you want to achieve with your children, measure it. How well are you currently doing it? Are you helping them with homework? Well, no, my wife does that. But if you want to be the father that is remembered as the father that was there and helped with homework, you better make sure you're doing it. Another tool I would suggest in in blending and and co-parenting better together is sincerely leverage each other's strengths. There are certain things that your wife does better than you do. My wife is much more organized, much more uh, seemingly has more energy, kind of a never-ending abundance of it. I might be able to handle certain pressured situations differently, maybe even better. It might be something I might be able to do better. So maybe what we could do is let one parent do what they do really well, maybe keeping the schedule. And the other parent might need to still be reminded that they might be really good at uh, making whatever is on the schedule more fun, more involved, more um, active. If you're an active parent, then let your partner use their strengths of being active. If uh, if you're a planner, let that partner be the planner. If one of you is really good at math, let's use those strengths. Let's not pretend that we all have to be everything to our kids. Let our strengths lead. and, and, And instead of, you know, being mad about the differences, leverage the differences. Remember, the goal is to hear four positives to every negative. So... I'm much more inclined to be active in my co-parenting with my children if I see that my wife sees that, is, that I'm using my strength and that I'm doing all I can do in our relationship. Also, make sure you use routines to eliminate reminders. Sometimes um, we reinvent the wheel every night, but we already know every night our kids need to go to bed. So it's a perfect time to have a bedtime routine. We already know they're going to need to brush their teeth. We already know that we might say a prayer as a family and we might, uh, you know, maybe read a book together. So use the routine as the way to have to constantly remind your partner. Maybe it is dad's dad. Every night dad goes and helps with brushing of teeth and getting the kids to bed. And if that's the case, then use the routine of it. We will be doing that everywhere we go as long as our kids need to brush their teeth and have teeth. Let's use that routine of the bedtime routine, also the morning routine, also the weekend routine. Have you created a Saturday morning routine? Is there something that you can do to get your kids out of bed, like just making a really awesome breakfast? If my kids know that they're going to have a great breakfast, they're much more inclined to pop out of bed. Then after breakfast, we all go out and we weed. (laughs) That could become the routine or we do our chores, but use the routine instead of having to constantly create reminders and, and you know, nag each other. The fifth and final uh, point for putting the co in the word co-parenting is remember that the apple does not fall far from the tree. Remember that the more you understand your spouse or your co-parent that you're working with, the more you will understand your children. Your genes flow from your spouse and from you into your children. So that means they share his DNA, his idiosyncrasies. And if you notice that he's hard to motivate, then you're probably going to find out that some of your kids are really hard to motivate too. So use use your understanding of your spouse and your understanding of your children to motivate both your spouse and your children. We have to crack the code in our families instead of cracking the whip. Many times we spend too much time trying to create new forms of motivation instead of just simply understanding the people that we're trying to motivate. Remember, in order to influence someone positively, you must first be influenced by them. And uh, no better way to be influenced by your spouse than to understand what their strengths are. What their goals are, what their dreams are as a parent, and then start working toward those goals together. Powerful stuff, folks. Uh, we'll take a break, come back, continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.
1: I walked through the streets and I
2: that. Welcome back, friends. Ah, you know, if you're if you're a driver, pay attention, pay attention to this next story. Even for seasoned police officers, this one is for the books. A man trying to run from police, driving through a gate and right into the parking lot of the Bremerton, Washington, police headquarters. Well, you know, I've seen a lot of things, but uh, this gets up there on the list of uh, now I've seen it all, said police captain Tom Wolf. Ah. These kids nowadays. It all started... Wow. Ooh. Ugh. It's a bad accident. It all started when an officer spotted 24-year-old Bradley Farley sleeping in a stolen car around 6.30 in the morning. Uh, Thursday, it was in an alley just outside the Bremerton Police Headquarters. When police approached him, Farley turned on the car, hit the gas, and drove through the gate and right into the department's parking lot... According to investigators, he then made a sharp right turn, speeding toward a second locked gate and then kept on going, then plowed his way out of the gate down the street where he struck another citizen's car, ended up crashing uh, his car, got out of the car and ran away. Was it it that Farley? Yeah, it was a different Farley. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was a different Farley. Uh, Farley was quickly captured. Police impounded the vehicle, which was stolen from Olympia. It was covered um, with scratches and dents, missing a few parts after the crashes. Inside, investigators found license plates stolen from unmarked Washington State patrol car that were parked at the office a few miles away. So he'd been stealing license plates, apparently. Police said Farley told them he planned on return. I I was going to return those plates. I mean, are you, are you, oh, you thought I was going to take those plates? No, I just, I just took them off. I just wanted to see them, and I was going to return them later. Once he discovered that they belonged to state troopers, he's like, yeah, I was for sure going to return them then. He was booked into jail despite all the crashes. No one was hurt. But, you know, as if one fence isn't enough, one gate isn't enough. Now the police have to replace two gates. Come on. Mm. These kids nowadays. What have, have, you, have you ever stolen a license plate? No. That's good. Have Have you? No. That seemed awkward. Like that was a a pregnant pause, right? Well, there. I didn't steal them because I gave them back. So you you removed license plates, which I think is a, is a it's a, at least a misdemeanor if it doesn't belong to you. And then you borrowed it for a time, and then you took it back.
3: the The, the point of the story is they were returned, so that's not stealing.
2: Right. That's the point. I don't know anymore. Yeah. It seems like that's not the point. The point would be not to take them at all. I mean, I don't know I don't know what you're trying to teach your kids. Like what would what would Sloss think if he heard the dad had stolen some?
3: Well, sometimes, you know, your license plate goes missing. Not. You I, need to replace it.
2: I mean, I've never had a license plate go so missing. So you just
3: replace it temporarily while you're locating where your plate is. All right. So I are, just
2: thought that was kind of what everybody did. So if you're a police officer and you want more information on this story, (laughs) give us a call, 1-855-CHAT-BYU. And uh, you can find Jeffrey going home in about an hour and a half from right now. Watch out for the seagulls. Here's Yoda as we we leave for this next hour. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show helping you uh, take back your life.
0: This is the Matt Townsend Show.
1: Your guide on the side.
0: Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter
1: at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend.
2: Now on BYU Radio.
3: BYU Radio.
2: Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Man, oh man, we got a good one for you today. Dr. Matt here, your guide on the side, your coach. We do what we can on this program to give you the information you need to live a healthier, happier life. And if we can have some fun along the way, we enjoy that as well. Hope you're having a great day. We, um, today we're going to be talking about why Amazon would want to get into the grocery business. It seems like many of the stores around us are uh, closing doors. Some of these, uh, you know, mon pa shops. Yep. Out of business. But Amazon then goes out and buys Whole Foods for a nice, tidy, what, 13 billion dollars? Pocket change. Pocket change. Jim Gaffigan said, I
3: like to know that I'm not the only one being overcharged by Whole Foods.
2: There you go. <laughs> it's actually really uh, – it's kind of true. paid top dollar. But f- for what reason? Why would this incredible uh, online giant
4: want to go open up 500 stores? Some of the explanations I heard were uh, produce. Really, because they you, love you, really good produce. You, as a consumer, go to the grocery store because there's produce there that you right. can grab the apples, look at them, and go, that's a good apple. Touch them, taste them. Those are – them Them are some good apples. Amazon cannot, at this point, reproduce that situation. Well, if and, you order a banana, it's just whatever they send you, it yeah. could be spoiled. And then while you're at the grocery store getting your judge of what a fresh produce is – You go and buy all the other stuff that you would probably could get on Amazon. So Amazon's trying to get in front of that.
2: Now Amazon can have all of their deliveries. You can now go pick up your product at a Whole Foods store. And it's already people that are used to spending a lot of money. Sure. Too much money. Right. Perhaps. For fresh produce.
4: But – my uh, was it my my sister in law. She's tried some of these other grocery stores where you do the pickup service. Yeah, and the the produce because she didn't pick it out, Bruised. wasn't what she wanted. So she yeah. said the 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 real problem that she, and she won't use it. I don't think she'll use it again. And, well, for produce, she'll right. use it for other things. But you show up and you want some fresh vegetables. They're just going to grab whatever's on the stack. They're not going to sit there and go, ooh, this one isn't good. This one you know? seems
2: just right for Stacy and so, her three so kids. So that
4: personal moment where you're yeah. picking your own food, that, that is something I don't know if they can replicate.
2: Maybe what this means, though, in the end is that we're going to have to always buy our produce on the corner. Maybe. And instead, You mean the guy
3: with the bag of oranges on, yeah. in, in the divider? Yeah, the orange guy. Okay. You can
2: get your windows washed and buy a bag of oranges. And have flowers for your wife. That's right. See? Wow. One-stop shopping. What? Whole Foods is going to do all that? Maybe. They do have all of those
3: items. All those offerings. Yeah. Uh,
2: So we'll be talking about Amazon, and is this a major – is this showing that eventually all of these high-tech companies are going to just take over the world? Google, Apple, and Amazon. Are we going to have
4: one option for shopping? Mm. You just go to your computer.
2: Yeah, you will only have one option, but the produce will be delectable. Without any bruises.
3: So, is the goal to just never talk to another
2: human being as long as we live? Actually, that's hour number two of the program. Oh, okay. Why you need to maybe get some alone time.
4: You need to be alone more. Yeah. A, lo- a lot of we people sp-
2: aren't alone enough. We spend too much time with other people. Uh huh. I believe that. Yeah.
4: Like, one of my favorite times is to be alone in my car. I'm sending my wife this article. So, when she says, hey, let's go out to. I'll just. Uh, I sent yeah. you that article. <laughs> This is, this, he has a, This guy has a PhD, and he's saying this. He, he's a doctor, and he. Yeah, we need
2: more alone time because then you get a chance to, to think and to actually get to know yourself. Oh, that's if you turn I, your podcast off. I By the watch way, TV. One of my wife's biggest pet peeves. Yeah. <laughs> I like to do that when people are talking. <laughs> wow, wow. I used to just put my finger right over their lips, and then I heard that was offensive. So now well, if you don't know the person, sure. Yeah, you don't know the person, and you're putting that. Let's just throw that out as a rule. Um, don't ever put your finger over someone's lips that you don't know. And if it's your wife, they're not going to be much happier. Oh yeah. Oh, that's just a bad moment. But you know, that advice just probably saved a guy's life. Yeah. See, we helped. Like we he was today. up on a bridge, like, like wondering whether
3: or not to no, jump, no, no, or, no, or no, the auto catches.
2: mechanic that you've never met that you go in and he keeps trying to shush you by putting his greasy finger on your lips. Uh, <sighs> kind of tough. Yeah, kind of gross. We'll get to all that fun. Um, we've got that. Plus, of course, we're celebrating Fried Chicken Day. Fried
5: chicken, tenders, taters, and gravy. I throw in a biscuit
2: and a big old cookie. Hmm. Appreciate Jeff Simpson and his solo on Biscuits and Gravy. And a cookie. And a cookie. What great song! We
3: just had some kitchen fried chicken the other day. Yeah, I know you and did. And it makes me sing. Makes me want to sing.
2: I haven't had any for a long time, and I'm, you know, I'm not even craving it. I had coconut fried chicken last night. una no, that would be good. It was. Mmm. Why don't you bring it? Why don't you bring some here? Like, then there'd be less for me. That seems kind of selfish.
4: Yeah. Well, what are you gonna do? Isn't that Twix's motto? Two for me, none for you.
2: I don't remember that. Hmm.
4: Last you, time I saw Twix had two plants, a left and a right. It was really confusing. Mm. They look the same to me. I'm not sure what they're doing, but not a big deal.
2: Uh, if you are, um, if you're worried about Twix, you know that's one thing to worry about. Another thing you could worry about is President Trump in Poland. What he, about? He, why would that be? Concerning? No, no. He's just defending uh, America against every
4: other nation that may not like us. He also questioned if Russia was involved with meddling in the election Yeah, they a little bit, but yeah. uh, also... Um, it's unclear. The
2: talk is heating up about North Korea. We'll get to all of this stuff. First, let's get to the headlines with Terry South. What's going
4: on, Terry? Speaking of, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley issued a stern warning to North Korea on Wednesday, saying the window for diplomatic solutions to the escalating nuclear crisis is closing. The actions, Their actions are quickly closing off possibility of a diplomatic solution haley said in an emergency meeting of the un general council adding that military options are on the table the meeting was called a day after the north korean regime fired an intercontinental ballistic missile president trump floated the possibility of cutting off trade deals with countries that do not help us in a tweet early wednesday an implicit warning to china which props up north korea's economy they don't sell them coal but they do send them oil oh really yeah so, they cut off the coal because, you know, we're, we're trying to teach them a lesson, but they keep the oil flowing. Well, maybe, yeah, shut that down. You saw over the weekend, or uh, over the holiday, Nikki Haley was complaining that she had to work on the 4th of July because of... And then it was like, hashtag, thanks, North Korea. Thanks, Kim. And then she got blasted for... <laughs> You know, come on, you took the job. It's your job. Family members and a a girlfriend say that Alexander Bonds refused to take his medication for paranoid schizophrenia and walked the streets in distress in the hours before police say he killed an NYPD officer early Wednesday. The aunt of Alexander Bonds told the New York Times the Bronx man had only been home for a week after he was hospitalized for a mental breakdown in which he had threatened to kill people. According to the New York Post, an unnamed girlfriend told law enforcement investigators that Bonds was unhinged in the hours before the shooting, and she called 911 three times Tuesday night for help, but every time she saw a cop car go down the block, he would go and hide. Oh, wow. So they are trying to get him help, and yeah. it didn't happen. That's the hardest part about mental health is you can't always force it. Right. Till they do something illegal or... House House Majority Whip Steve Scalise was readmitted to the intensive care unit at the Washington, D.C. Hospital Wednesday night. He was uh, shot in that baseball game Mm, practice they were having, so he's having some more complications from those injuries as he uh, continues to recover. Uh, This study I found interesting. Twenty-something men are working many fewer hours than they did a decade and a half ago, according to a new study. Really? The biggest reason is that they prefer to play video games no boy men aged 21 to 30 worked 12 percent fewer hours in 2015 than they did in 2000 according to a study published monday by the national bureau of economic research and about half the reason is the time they spend gaming the results suggest that reduced work for prime age men is not just even uh, mostly because they can't find jobs or sufficient hours they're saying the jobs and hours are there they're there they just they, don't want I'd rather
2: play a video game
4: it is that rather except uh that what's out there they choose to uh, the contemporary equivalent of hanging out at the pool hall or the racetrack by playing video games in fact 2015 roughly 15 percent of young men work zero weeks over the year nearly double the rate of 2000 their attitude according to one of the researchers may be why not have a little fun in your 20s and work in your 80s have fun now. Huh? Ho, 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 ho. Who's going to hire an 80-year-old who says your hips right. are going to work?
3: Mm-hmm. Now, this,
4: this was interesting, and I thought you would find this yes. an interesting approach. The New York Times, uh, Jane McGonnell, a video game scholar. What? Yeah, I know. Suggested that games offer this young young cohort something lacking in available jobs. A meaning to life, specifically that I'm trying to improve the skill teammates are counting on me and my online community is relying on me. Okay. They've developed this bond with these people and they feel like if they don't cultivate that, they're failing them. And they're developing a skill that they find useful. So it's almost
2: like they're not... You know, lonely losers just sitting in the basement.
4: Well, it's almost like now they're connected by friends. Most of these people actually are. It's like they're
3: a part of the country (laughs) club, except they can go into the club in their sweats in their mom's basement.
2: Well, and there's no country club, and there's no posh locker room it's all
4: virtual but they have friends they develop relationships and they feel like they're abandoning or somehow violating those relationships by not cultivating them by oh, working. Wow. if mm-hmm. you go away to work yeah and you're not there to be with these people well it
2: makes sense same reason why you got to keep you know your social media going because yeah. you don't want to let down all your all your fans or followers absolutely so
3: the old saying sleep when you're dead the new saying work when you're dead
4: w- work when you're yeah dead or nearly dead Mm-hmm. Oh wow! And finally, lines got long, tempers got short, and deputies were called Tuesday when a middle Georgia st- station sold gasoline for ninety-nine cents a gallon. Yeah, what's up with that? This is uh, this is straight out of the Atlanta Journal Constitution, so this isn't my fault. It says, "I done got cussed out trying to get in here and get <laughs> some ninety-nine cent gas," said Richard Baker. Wow. He's a retired Vietnam War veteran. He said he's there to get uh, this this the gas cuz people out here are struggling and acting like a maniac now. The special price which was for customers paying cash was to run from 4 or 3 to 4 p.m. Tuesday afternoon. Uh, but when word got out, buyers and their vehicles came flocking. People were over here like 1 p.m., said the owner. <laughs> Bibb County deputies were called in to direct traffic. Some cases telling people to drive by the station, circle back, and attempt to come back in and re-enter the, the establishment. The owner said, we ain't doing this again. It was a mess. Well, yeah. Yeah. Donald Trump says
2: it's going to, where is it? Like Ohio has uh, gas for $1.69 or something. Something like that. He says it should even be lower than that.
4: I done got cussed out trying to get in here and get some gas.
3: (laughs) Now imagine that same promotion here in Utah. Be
2: about 10 times worse. Oh, yeah. Because everyone's already clipped their coupons. Anything that's free or on a discount here in Utah? What they would do is – yeah, because you would end up – they'd all come in for the cheap gas and they'd have like a two-for-one coupon for hot dogs. Right. So they'd just clean the store out. Mm. Wow. Okay. Well, so uh, I guess they're never going to do that again. No. But it doesn't mean
4: other stores in every other state shouldn't try it. I worked at a radio station group. Yeah. And one of the stations there did this. How would that work? It worked. It, it, it didn't turn into chaos, but they said it was it was it was crazy because it backed out onto the highway. They had yeah. to tell the police so they could make a staging lane. It was oh, all this habits. stuff involved because gas was high and ninety nine cents is a good price. It's a great price, especially like that's where you go take your
2: huge truck and your boat. Oh yeah, you go fill everything up, even if you're well, not going to go boating. There's for limits, a
3: week. <laughs> but gas is kind of a necessity. Are there really people out there that are saying? Well, if it's 99 cents, I'll get some,
2: but. No, I I think people. It's inexpensive enough now, right? I mean, it's fairly cheap gas right now.
3: 230 something at Costco. I mean, normally,
2: remember, it's summer. This is when it's supposed to be really
4: expensive. That's what they say. I think it's all part of the scam. It is part of the scam. They're trying to tell you prices are low, and it's really, I don't know. But, like, it used to be four
2: something. Do you remember those days? Yeah. Almost $5. Right. And we weren't even in New York. No. Or there, England. There's one gas station that just gives it away for
3: free, though. I mean, you have to bring your own hose and you have to come at like two in the morning, but it's free.
2: Really? I've never heard of that. That explains a lot. That explains where you were last week. Um, uh, by the way, uh, Ed Sheeran, is, he's, he's done. He's off Twitter. He's not tweeting anymore. He's sick of the negative, the the redheaded musician, the redheaded musician that has made a ton of songs for like One Direction and Taylor Swift. And he's just a great Hmm. musician. He's like, I'm done. No more Twitter. Not doing it. People are too negative. I'm tired of hearing negative all day. Not doing it. Not going to do it. (laughs) So he's done tweeted out. Which might not be a bad idea for all of us. Except you can follow us uh, on our Twitter feed at Dr. Matt Show.
3: I think he did like a ninety-nine cent sale, kind of like this ninety-nine cent gas promotion.
2: What would he get? And it was too crazy. Yeah.
3: And I think he said in his British accent, "I'm what? What was the what did the gas station guy
2: say? I done, I done had it. I can't remember. I done had it with Twitter. Twitter. (laughs) Twitter. The Queen's on Twitter." We've got a great show. In a minute, we're going to take we'll take a break. Come back. We're going to be talking about Amazon. Why on earth are they getting into the grocery business, and what does it mean for your future? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend show, helping you see the big picture of tech. Amazon has recently rolled out their Amazon Pantry program where you can have grocery products, bananas, bread, milk, even ice cream shipped next day to your doorstep. How cool is that? They also recently acquired the Whole Foods grocery chain as a subsidiary, and now we are all wondering, what is the future of grocery shopping? Is it going to be online? Is Amazon going to take over that industry? Well, here to help us understand what's happening and what it means to all of us in the future is uh, Dr. Roger Miners. He's a professor of economics at the University of Texas in Arlington, and uh, he's going to walk us through the big picture here. Roger, thank you for being with us today.
5: Uh, glad to do
2: it, man. Talk about, I mean, you, it used to be back in my old day that you, if you were going to be, the benefit of the online business is that you didn't need to have a brick-and-mortar face. You didn't need to have stores and locations and all the expense of that. And yet here's Amazon, the biggest and the, the baddest, and they just purchased Whole Foods with 465 locations. What's going on?
5: Well, it's not clear that even Amazon knows what's going on because it's an industry that is changing so rapidly. You know, Amazon came from nowhere in such a short amount of time, but their business model changes as they move forward. One of the great advantages of buying Amazon of buying Whole Foods is that they did acquire premier locations. So they moved into the high end of the market because uh, Whole Foods stores are at the high end of the grocery right. chain. Their customers are upper-income people, so they've, they've got a solid organization in place, but they're still not uh, sure how they're going to handle all of the delivery business. So, yeah, we can imagine groceries being delivered. That was done a lot, a lot of efforts during the uh, the dot-com boom back around 2000 when we thought everything was going to be delivered. Nobody was going to go to the store anymore, and most of those companies went bankrupt. So we're going back through a slower evolution of groceries being delivered. Uh, And so Amazon is trying that. But I think that one of the things they're also looking at is the expense of delivering tiny uh, little cheap items to us. If you're an Amazon Prime uh, member, you get all your deliveries for free. So you can order something that costs two bucks. It costs them more to deliver it than the revenue that they uh, get from the item. So mm. they might be able to uh, work out, we go to a Whole Foods and we pick up some orders while we're at the store. So this is still an evolution and we'll see how it all uh, pans out.
2: And it's a big investment. They paid $13.7 mm. in cash. I mean, that's just a pure cash deal. That's like, you know, dad buying pizza. It's, it's, yeah, it's just got, a $20 well, bill. Amazon's
5: got... Amazon's got buckets of money, and they're looking for places where to put it rather than just stockpiling. it. It's like a company like Apple has over $100 billion uh, stockpiled. What are they going to do with that? Investors want a return on it. It could be that buying Whole Foods is a mistake, but they could always sell the chain at the other end. It's a valuable asset.
2: And, and like you said they they will have they're going to pick up this high-end market people that are used to uh, you know wanting nicer locations so they'll have nice big parking lots to put all their people in um in the end I guess uh, they' they're they're like you're saying they're making this up as they go they they, they may have a plan but who knows where the plan will go
5: yeah, you can't control the evolution of uh, of markets that a lot of companies of course think they know what will work, but it turns out that people are looking for something a little different or another company comes up with a product or service that's a little different that is much more appealing. So we see this constant evolution in industry of firms that seem dominant end up withering in favor of uh, some upstart like Amazon that comes along out of nowhere and changes the uh, business model.
2: Does this hurt? Who does this hurt the most? Does this hurt the the small grocers or does this end up hurting the Walmarts? Mm
5: -hmm. Um, Yeah, they're in competition with Walmart. We see Walmart doing many of the things that Amazon is doing. Walmart is expanding their own Delivery business and making it easier to order things online. Go to your Walmart store; it's already uh, your order is already put together for you. You get a preferred parking space, walk in, grab it, and go. So they're all experimenting with this model. But Whole Foods is a high-end store, and having food delivered uh, makes your groceries pretty expensive. So they're uh, they're they're taking off the top of the market. They're not going after the the massive uh, grocery market which in which uh, Walmart is number one in the country. It's changing the model, but I don't think we're going to see all groceries delivered.
2: Yeah, I mean, it almost seems like, I mean, I don't know, it, there's something about, I guess, even the social aspect or just the, the freshness aspect. We hear a lot of talk about people want the fresh fruit, people want to be able to handle some of their food before they, they buy it. Is, and I guess, too, that would get rid of some of the impulse buying. It seems like you know these grocery stores have made a lot of money on getting impulse buys.
5: Well, they do, and that's because people like it. So people see something, they decide to get it. When you order online, maybe you don't do as much of that. But you're right that people are concerned about freshness, and that was one of the things that hurt the uh, grocery delivery business Last time it was tried that people were worried they wouldn't be able to high grade the fruits and vegetables they might get sent inferior grade stuff by having uh, Whole Foods do the selection you've bought a high end name, and nobody thinks Whole Foods is going to deliver you second quality fruits or vegetables, so right. that's one of the things they're able to overcome with that
2: and like um I think it is no it is Amazon that has. They have these refill buttons that you can put on your laundry detergent. So when you're out of laundry detergent, you just press this button and it automatically uh, puts in an order on Amazon for you and then they'll send you your your detergent is. Do you see a day and then, too, we have all of the um, the Internet uh, based uh, refrigerators that when you're out of milk, it'll automatically, uh, you know, order it. it is is. Do you think the tech is going to become a bigger part of um, our grocery shopping experience with Amazon doing this, or in the end, do we still want our local grocer?
5: Yeah, I think people do like uh going into the to the grocery store now and then and looking around at what's there and seeing things that you haven't thought of. Uh, online, you're likely just to get the same old thing time after time. So we're not going to see the uh, the grocery stores disappear. But all of these fancy ordering devices, like you said, a uh, refrigerator that recognizes you're low on milk, well, what if you're leaving town for two weeks? You're going to have to go in and reprogram the dang thing to say, no, no, don't send milk back. <laughs> right. So, uh, I, you know, it may be that these um, little devices that you can put in your house, uh, like Alexa and all these others, will end up dominating more where you just say to that thing, uh, I need milk, I need detergent or something. So you control it rather than having automatic ordering dominating and you end up getting a bunch of stuff that you really do not yeah. want.
2: Do you what do you sense? Because one of the things I know that they've all been running into, especially with Amazon, is is just the delivery system and uh, how, the, how their their margins aren't high enough. But sometimes they're like you were saying earlier, they're not making money on anything but the delivery. The delivery might just help them break even on certain things. Is is this in the end going to change that? We on the show we have talked about the fact that. If everyone keeps buying everything online, it's going to be we're going to have really congested cities, not full of
5: cars, but full of delivery trucks. Well, but the congestion may go down because if people don't drive as much to go uh, to stores and so on, uh, you'll end up with fewer vehicles on the road because one truck can make an awful lot of deliveries. So I think one of the things that Amazon is is still struggling with, as are many companies, is if you're paying another company, UPS, FedEx, or even the post office, to handle the delivery for you, then a lot of the revenue is going to that organization, not to Amazon or the firm that's actually selling the product. Hmm. So maybe by getting into the, the Whole Foods market and grocery delivery, We're going to see them having their own fleet of vehicles uh, that are doing the food delivery, but also delivering the various gadgets that we order uh, online from Amazon.
2: That's interesting, isn't it? I mean, it seems like a really good investment for Amazon would be to purchase a company like FedEx. (laughs)
5: <laughs> well, uh, who knows? Do you they, see they a day that, if they have so much money... One end to the other. Yeah. yeah. And uh, as you know, Amazon, of course, is like other stores, such as Costco, that have their own uh, branded products. At, at Costco, it's Kirkland, and Amazon is developing its own branded products. Mm. And the one thing mm. we're observing in these branded products today, such as Kirkland, is very high quality. It used to be that we thought of Brand X or the store brand as kind of inferior stuff. That's not the case anymore. Uh, Costco and Amazon want you to trust their brands and the choices they're making and they're not going to sell us junk that's not as good. So uh, they're able to tie things more and more from one end to the other as they vertically integrate more from production to delivery. Wow,
2: this is crazy! Because then all of a sudden, who would have ever thought that you can go, go get a pair of Amazon jeans? I mean, it seems like not a great brand name for the <laughs> that's, for the ladies. That's
5: right? Well, they'll they'll think of something more clever than that. Yeah,
2: they better, huh? Let's do this. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Doctor uh, Roger Miners as he walks us through the insights, the ins and outs. Of uh, the Amazon purchase of Whole Foods, Roger Miners is a is a Goolsby Rosenthal endowed chair of economics at the University of Texas Arlington. Stick with us. We'll continue the journey. This is the Matt Townsend show. Welcome back, friends. Uh, you know, Amazon goes out, throws down thirteen point seven billion dollars in cash to purchase Whole Foods, and now Amazon is you know one of the leading grocers, uh, grocery chains in the country. What? Can can that just happen? Can a can a tech company go in and just throw down enough money and then take over the grocery world? And if so, hmm, what else can they go after? And uh, and what does this mean for our future? Joining us on the phone is Dr. Roger Miners. He is the Goolsby Rosenthal Endowed Chair of Economics at the University of Texas Arlington. And uh, he is here today to help us understand the future of Amazon. Uh, Dr. Miners, thank you again for being with us. Good to be with you. Is Okay, so how do we not... Because this has showed us something really, I think powerful. We see it a little bit with Google, where Google goes out and they again have billions of dollars, and now they have the company Alphabet, and they're slowly just purchasing different companies. But um, is there is there a way i mean is 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 Amazon capable, I guess, of just going out and slowly just creating monopolies and dominating industries?
5: I don't think that's much of a concern. Uh, the company is is not highly profitable. Everybody's betting on the come on uh, Amazon, unlike uh, say Apple, which has very high profit margins on its products. Amazon hasn't made much money, but a lot of investors are saying they've got a great business model. they've obviously figured out. Uh, a sector of the market and so they, they should be making profits in the future so I think the company is still in a sense stumbling along trying hmm. to figure out uh, what's going to work and make money over time just as you mentioned Google uh, you know they're getting into the automobile business yeah figuring out how to have driverless cars and so on who knew you yeah, right. can't make that much money if, if all you do is give away people the the service of people looking up stuff. You're not going to make a lot of money off of that. So they've got to move into other areas. And people always worry about monopolies. A hundred years ago, there was big worry about a company called the Great Atlantic and Pacific. Uh, That is A&P was Mm. the first chain of grocery stores. Before that, you had your freestanding stores, the butcher shop, the green grocer, the bakery, And you had to spend a lot of time going from store to store to store. Then A&P opens up the first chain grocery store where you went into one store to get almost everything. And there was worry that, oh, my gosh, they're going to monopolize the grocery market and take over. Well, no, other imitators came along, and A&P is long ago has been. So Amazon, of course, is being studied by a lot of smart people who are looking at it and you see would-be competitors, Jet.com and others coming up with uh, similar models or variations on the theme. So whenever there's a big pot of money to be had, as long as others aren't stopped from entering the market, they're gonna see uh, new competitors come along trying to grab market share from them.
2: Yeah, it's interesting too, I mean, we're always afraid of this, um, but uh, we do see some weird signs in um, in some of the other markets like Kmart shutting down, Sears shutting down certain stores. Um, is that is that an Amazon effect?
5: it's It's partly an Amazon effect, but also just the inefficiencies of certain organizations. Uh, Kmart largely fell victim to uh, walmart being higher quality stores with better prices and kmart just failed to adapt uh, it, it's difficult for big companies to change their model so a lot of times the big dominant firm in an industry such as at one time u.s steel was the number one steel company in the world it's a small company now because other steel companies came along adapting better technology uh, new methods of production, and just blew U.S. Steel out of the water. U.S. Steel knew what was going on and could see these changes happening, but the company was too cumbersome and slow to adapt. Mm. And so we we see that a lot. General Motors, of course, at one time dominated the auto market, and it's still real big, uh, but they face a heck of a lot more competition now than they did in the past.
2: Yeah. It seems like um, I, I was hearing rumblings about the CEO of of uh, Whole Foods not wanting to sell, not wanting to to be bought out. Um, even though some of his investors, some of his board, were looking toward that. Is I mean, are these companies so big that in the end, when they're throwing down thirteen seven point seven billion in cash, it's it's you can't compete. You just you just buy. You just—I mean—you you allow yourself to be bought. And why did U.S. Steel um, or the still like that example you were giving us, if they—they they should have probably just sold out right earlier.
5: Well, nobody might want to buy them uh, <laughs> now, course, yeah. because of the size of the organization. Right. And in the case of U.S. Steel, you had a heavily unionized company, and, and those tend to be uh, not very flexible. So, for a, a company like Amazon that does have a lot of cash. It's a heck of a lot quicker to buy an existing firm instead of going to out and you know building yourself 500 stores. That would take years to do. Mm. Uh, so here you've got Whole Foods has already chosen the nice locations, built the stores, has a loyal clientele. You're buying all of that. But you're you're right that the apparently the uh, John McKay, the head of uh, Whole Foods, was was not happy about some of the pressure that was on him. To change the business model to increase net revenues—the usual thing that investors want—higher return. And what they were talking about was, well, you got to cut your prices and so on. That is, you got to look more like Kroger's and Albertsons and less like Whole Foods. Hmm. He didn't like it, and so going with um, Amazon gives him the, the chance to stay in charge, uh, have a fair amount of flexibility, and. At least for a while, in running the company the way he thinks it should be run, and not have to put up with uh, listening to the caterwauling from a bunch of uh, hedge fund hedge fund yeah. fund managers on Wall Street uh, pecking away at what he's doing. Do you, do you sense
2: that uh, too? It's you know whoever has the money, and it seems like right now all these uh, a lot of these tech companies are the ones with the money. Um, I, I guess in the end, do is market driving this or are companies innovating it and then forcing the market does that make sense so are we are we well, all screaming yeah, yeah. for the pantry program or is amazon uh, is amazon now pushing it upon us
5: well they're trying to push it on us of course all companies uh, want to be successful and and get us uh, to be loyal to them and stick with them But as long as we have uh, uh, choices to go with other firms that come along, then we really shouldn't worry much about that. And big, dominant companies that uh, people used to talk about as controlling things tend to wither away. I can remember when I was younger, IBM dominated the computer market, and there was all the talk about it being a monopoly and nobody could compete with IBM. It's a nothing company today. Well, I don't mean to disparage it, Yeah, it's not the dominant firm it once was. And the same is true of Xerox, which at one time was one of the most highly valued firms in the world, dominated the copier market, Canon came along and blew them out of the water. (laughs) So other people are free. They see the market, and you have giant companies like Google, Facebook, Apple that have buckets of money. They can get into these markets, and uh, the folks that work at those companies, as well as brand-new startup companies we've never heard of. uh, Looking at all that cash that's out there. And so you get a lot of smart young people coming out of schools like BYU, and some of them have pretty good ideas about what we might do uh, to carve into some niche of some market.
2: It's so true. I mean, really, think about Facebook and, um, but, and Facebook is like becoming a major marketing expert, right? So and their data, the other thing we've been talking a lot about on the show over the last month or two is the fact that where a lot of the money is so valuable is in the data Amazon is gathering on their people and Facebook is gathering. So then all of a sudden you take all that data and then you combine it with, you know, brick and mortar power in on the ground and you can create some pretty amazing things.
5: Yeah, that's a very good point, uh, that uh, data is incredibly valuable, and many firms are not yet capable of analyzing their own data uh, successfully because the amount of data that is coming in to all firms, not just your uh, Internet-based firms, but even more traditional firms such as the railroads, have huge amount of data that are collected. They have drones flying over their Mm. rails checking for defects. The amount of information coming in is staggering, so you've got to figure out how to warehouse that information, retrieve the information, analyze the information. No one company is likely to be able to do all of that by itself really efficiently as well as do the product development, product marketing, and so on. Firms tend to have relatively narrow areas of specialization. What they're really good at doing, uh, better than anybody else, so that that's where they make their money. Hmm.
2: It's so true, and which which actually makes this, in a weird way, a little more ominous because Amazon does have data, and for some reason, and then of all the things they targeted, Whole Foods was one of it. So you wonder what are the things that they know that no one else knows simply because of their huge data set.
5: Well, they've got a lot of data, but so do a lot of other firms. And my guess is, of course, they hire consultants to do a fair That's amount true. of the analysis for them rather than do it all themselves. But they are you're right. They're looking for trends, uh, and they're also looking for new opportunities, unexploited efficiencies uh, that could come about, mm-hmm. things that we haven't recognized. So... You know, you you mentioned Facebook. Who would have thought? I don't know, ten years ago. Who would have imagined that some company promoting that thing, which wasn't even envisioned, could become one of the most profitable firms in the world? It just seems bizarre. Totally, uh, but it is very successful, and they're they make the money from exploiting the data uh, which they sell to advertisers. Well, and
2: you made a great point about if about margins, if. Uh, if Amazon's margin is maybe 3% and they can eliminate shipping and move their margin up 1% or 2% more, they've, they, they've just doubled their, their, their profits. So all of a sudden, I mean, I guess this, this makes a lot of sense. When you think going forward, any other ideas that you think as far as future uh, mergers, future buyouts, what else should we expect to see from these tech giants in, going forward in the future?
5: Well, if I knew, I wouldn't tell you because I <laughs> You'd would be, be exploiting that uh, highly valued investment information. So we tend to see these things, uh, such as uh, Amazon buying Whole Foods, which just seems bizarre. So it's not like Amazon buying, you know, some small company that does something immediately related to what they do. So it is these uh, these new innovations that come along that tend to surprise us and get the most attention. But the, the grocery market. Compared to many other industries where we've seen much more innovation, grocery stores today look an awful lot like I remember them looking 40 years ago. So it probably is an industry that uh, is ripe for more innovation.
2: Mm. That's great. Good stuff. Well, we appreciate you, Roger. Uh, it's not its not an easy job you've got and not, not an easy task. It's economics, for heaven's sakes. It seems like uh, way over my head. But uh, we appreciate your time with us. Again, Dr. Roger Miners is the uh, Goolsby Rosenthal Endowed Chair of Economics at the University of Texas Arlington. And he wrote this uh, a wonderful article on Amazon. And as it dives into the grocery business with Whole Foods, go check it out on conversation.com. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you keep up to date on the crazy tech world. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, uh, tech is one thing, but... At some point, there just comes a time that you you just need to just escape from life. Escape from your tech, escape from politics, escape from sometimes your kids. That's what the bathroom's for.
3: Just, <laughs> just go hide out in there. That's a
4: great exit strategy. So the fingers come under the yeah, door.
2: Yeah, dad. So uh, Terry's got a little uh, insight for us about how much time we, we actually spend
4: escaping. So there's a reality. study of 2,000 adults. In yeah. the U.S., commissioned by the global tour operator, G Adventures. G? G. Hm. They uh, showed that the, uh, the average adult spends about 12 hours, 56 minutes of escaping our reality each week. Coming in partly in the form of reading books, they say it's about one hour, 34 minutes. Watching movies, two hours, 37 minutes. Dreaming of vacations, 44 minutes. How often do you dream of vacation? Hold on. Matt? People
2: just sit and dream about That's is, what
4: they're saying. Are they sleeping daily? In all, it's four years of your life that you spend escaping whatever you're doing at the moment. 22 minutes on average a person spends daydreaming each day to the books, films, TV we get lost in, news survey tallied. The common times and activities that people use to get away from reality, and it's about 13 hours a week. So this is about the 1258 they're saying. So about 13 hours a week. But I, I, is reading a book escaping Sure. If you read the book. Well, it just seems like it's
2: it's yep. actually well, like
4: if, exercising your brain. If you read the right type of book. Yeah, I guess that's the key.
2: Huh? Yeah. If you're reading like an Like uh, a Harlequin romance, like oh, there you Jeff go. can't put those down.
4: <laughs> right. Every cover has Fabio on the cover, right? It's amazing. I would
2: think it would be at least four hours
4: a day because people are looking at Facebook. That's They're true. The, yeah. What about surfing all that? the net at work? So it says other popular forms of escape that uh, trended in the survey: exploring new places, fifty-six minutes; listening to music, two hours forty-seven; and playing video games, hour and a half. The most common daydream Americans confess to have is the thought of winning the lottery—that's sixty percent—followed really? by close uh, by going on vacation at fifty-four percent or traveling somewhere exotic, fifty percent.
2: Yeah, I don't think of any of those really. No, I All, think of being a dancer, like a
4: in New York, um, Broadway, big show. Really? So, of these two thousand yeah. people, it says they spent forty-four minutes each week fantasizing about being on vacation or planning the next one. And this says that might do be due to the fact That's... that sixty-three percent of the survey respondents say daydreaming about vacation has helped put their mind more at ease. Well, I guess yeah, like they're dreaming about a hope that hey.
2: I'll be going on that Disney cruise in three years. And that works into the website who ran the
4: survey. I, oh, how vacation weird website. I
2: guess I'm just a man of simple tastes. If I'm not
3: dreaming about a plate of nachos, I'm You're probably eating a just a plate of nachos. Well, or I'm just dreaming about getting to sleep in, which never happens.
2: But is that what you think about?
3: Yes. At 7.30 last night,
2: I was dreaming about – Oh, so you were asleep be great at seven thirty. No, wouldn't it be great oh, to be dreaming though? Yeah, yeah. That's a. Uh, it's just interesting because I, man, my head. Uh, maybe I just have this ability to turn everything else off.
4: So uh, the top ten daydreams according to the survey. Okay. Yeah. Winning the lottery, as we talked Weird, about. Yeah. Going on vacation. Uh huh. Traveling somewhere exotic, which I'm not sure what the difference between vacation yeah. and traveling somewhere Seems exotic. The same. Uh, being on the beach. Yeah. Again, vacation. Doing something adventurous. Speaking my mind. Some people dream of speaking yeah, their mind. That's like number, what, eight there are seven there. And then yeah. meeting the one. Oh, that one perfect. The special perfect yeah, one. Yeah. Uh, quitting my job. Oh, okay. While yeah. sitting at your job, dreaming of quitting. Yeah, and how you're going to quit. Yeah. <laughs> and then the final one is errands that I need to do. Wow. What's weird? I, I, I have a whole, I have a different mind
2: because I don't think of like 90% of those things.
4: What are the top moments that you would daydream? Oh, I daydream all through the show. Okay. What about your vacation
2: to Branson, Missouri? That was awesome. I've uh, I've been to Branson, spent a week there one night.
4: As uh, was it Homer Simpson said, "It's Vegas if God built it." Branson, Missouri. <laughs> <You laughs> Branson's
2: really cool. You, it you really could go is to the cool. you could go to the Brady brunch there. Oh, I've never been to the Brady brunch. Yeah, but I I went with a high powered member of the branson community and so we could go to any show we wanted to not to brag whoa wow it was pretty cool Matt knows people it's pretty cool but you know you can only go to so many shows before you're like tired of shows well that's interesting okay good now so now everybody knows yeah what they should be daydreaming about and we spend four years of our lives doing it man i never even think about the lottery but apparently i need to pick up my game hmm. all right fun stuff we'll take a break When we come back, we'll continue the journey. This is The Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world.